This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, helping you through this pre-Thanksgiving week. We, uh, hmm, this is our last day for the show. Woohoo! We start some uh, best ofs Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. I got to get out and start working my turkey. I got to move. You got to move. Tomorrow in the rain. Oh, that'll be perfect. Oh, yeah. Nothing makes moving an, an elliptical easier than the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing worse than a slick elliptical. To make your life complicated. Hey, happy morning to you, folks. Are you feeling it? Are you thinking this is going to be a good day? I'm feeling something in my neck and back. Yeah. It's because you've been moving things. Yeah. Wow. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. We've got a great show for you today. We will be talking um, about the greed, power, and conflicts that made our presidents great. It's a book. Mm. It's a book that's out by Al- Alastair Smith. And would you would you guess that uh, does war create a better president or a weaker president? Hmm. We'll get into it. And why do they go to war for their people or for themselves? You know, if you haven't seen it already, there's a great movie called Canadian Bacon. My love, where the president who is lagging in the polls, or he's he's not likable, <laughs> and so he decides to uh, declare war on Canada. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, of all people to take on, he chooses to take on Canada. It's got John Candy in it. Check it out. Check it out. It's a great day, folks. It's all, It's also um, start your own or national start your own country day. To all those that seek freedom, that don't quite like the freedom they have in America, apparently today, start your own country day. Four easy steps, by the way. First, make sure you're eligible. You must have a defined territory. You must have a permanent population. You must have a government. And your government must be capable of interacting with other states. I watched a TV show last night. Which had this sort of a plot to it. Something, you know, people died in an earthquake, I think it was. And so the president and everyone was gone. And so somebody's son tried to step up and take power. And he did this. He did it. Tried to blackmail the U.S. into officially recognizing his country. How how did that work for them? They they basically, they worked around the guy. It was fine. But it was funny. I looked at my wife and I go, I'm doing this tomorrow on the show. Wow. Yeah, it was just, it was, I just, I read it, I put, I, I submitted it to you yesterday yeah, as we were yeah. preparing for today's show, and then I watched it on TV. It's all true. You, you heard, according to the LA Times, California is trying to secede from the nation. Yes. Officially, they started a movement. It'll, a it'll be difficult. Motion. Though. It'll be difficult. Well, it totally will be. So whenever we don't get our way, we can just secede from the nation? Oh, sure. Hmm. Yeah, sure. It's like, hey, I'm taking my toys. I'm taking Disneyland. San Francisco, I'm out of here. That is democracy at its best. We're going to play somewhere else. So um, 
I was granted, we're talking about a few thousand people. Yeah, I think in the end, California's going. They're going to stay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think the multi millions will win over? Right. Wait till they just see the transportation bill that comes out of Trump's uh, administration hmm. for rebuilding infrastructure. Then they'll be like, "Ah, we'll stay." We got a lot of stuff we got. A lot gotta of potholes over here. Yeah, a lot of potholes. So if you're going to secede from the nation, you got to make sure you're eligible, number one. Declare your independence, number two. Get recognized by other countries have to recognize you as a country. Well, as being the person in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to join the club. Since its founding in 1945, membership in the United Nations has become a gold standard. There you go. And get your own money, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and, oh, how fun to design your own money, though. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So we'll be talking about the benefits uh, or who actually benefits from war. What impact does it have on the presidency? And also greed, power, and conflict. And, and what does that do to a president? Because a lot of people would say, you know, President-elect Trump might have a lot of greed. There's a lot of conflict surrounding his presidency, a lot of power issues. So maybe this is the making of a great president. We'll find out from our expert. All that fun, plus uh, a bunch of headlines and some Thanksgiving information stuff to make it through. You know how to talk, how to talk or not, or not, or not to your family and friends through the Thanksgiving holiday. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what do we need to be focusing on today? Donald Trump railed against the Trans-Pacific Partnership as a candidate, and now he plans to do far more as president. Trump said Monday in a video address that he would announce a US, the U.S. is withdrawing from the pact on his first day in office. Trump called the pact a deal among the U.S. and 11 Pacific Rim nations a potential disaster for the nation. Instead, we will negotiate fair bilateral trade deals that bring jobs and industry back to American shores, he said. Earlier Monday, Japan's prime minister discounted the idea of going ahead with the TPP without American participation, the AP reports. Six children have been reported dead in the crash of an elementary school bus in Tennessee on Monday. Five of the children died on the bus and another after being transported to a hospital. The bus has been carrying 35 students aging from kindergartners to fifth graders when it crashed around 3.20 p.m. on Monday while transporting children from home to from home to school. 23 of the students were reportedly transported to a local hospital. The bus reportedly hit a tree, causing the vehicle to collapse on its side. It took authorities two hours to fully evacuate the battered vehicle. Officials said the bus's speed was being very, very strongly investigated as a cause of the crash. The bus driver survived the crash and has been taken into police custody. In a video statement, President-elect Donald Trump claimed his presidential transition was going smoothly. The Trump transition team has been plagued by reports of internal disarray and widely criticized for the appointment of Steve Bannon and Senator Jeff Sessions. Our transition team is working very smoothly, efficiently, and effectively. Truly great and talented men and women, patriots indeed, are brought in and many soon will be a part of our government, Trump said in a statement. And finally, in... Regards to the election, a Georgia man who still doesn't know the results of the presidential election said his accidental art project began with a simple party invitation. Joe Chandler, a Brunswick artist, said he found the presidential race between Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump to be so stressful that he declined an invitation to an election night party. He went to bed not knowing about Trump's eventual victory, 
victory, and when he woke up feeling peaceful the next day, he decided to make the feeling last. Uh, he said he wears headphones when he leaves the house, along with a sign reading, I don't know who won, and I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. Wow. That's awesome. Does Pretty that admirable. Work? That's a, I mean, but... Apparently it does, because he's been interviewed... Um, I forget which. It was a morning show he was interviewed on, and they said, well, do people respect your decision? He said, absolutely. I'm just jogging down the street, and people are just, you know, waving and saying, well, okay. Well, won't he know, like, someday when there's a billboard that says President Trump? Yeah. So he decided the way he wants to reveal it to himself is he wants to have kind of like a gender reveal party thing, except with a Republican Democrat party. So he's going to fill a box with either red or blue balloons. Oh, cute. So, <laughs> so you yeah. can't go out in public. No, don't go to a restaurant. He just puts goggles on, headphones, goggles, hat, everything. Puts a pillowcase over his head. Oh, yeah. be careful with that one. Yeah, that'll kill you, especially when you're driving. Well, thanks, Sadie. That's one interesting fella. Wow, is it that? Is it that bad? I mean, it's so bad. Kanye West is exhausted. Yeah, he canceled the rest of his uh, tour, and he's in the hospital. Poor guy. Maybe Poor a nervous, nervous breakdown of some kind. Yeah, what's going on there? I don't know. What's happening to America? Kanye yeah. can't even perform. I mean, he was going to run for president yeah. someday. Just crazy. Really, it's such a strange world we're living in. Um, so Donald Trump yesterday met with all of the heads of the media. Heads and ink, like lead anchors. anchors. I mean, that's a strange. Do, is, does that happen very often? No, but they set it up, and there's of course the uh, video I've been watching on C-SPAN for the last week of just mm. cameras in the lobby at Trump Tower, and they're all walking into Trump Tower and going right. up the elevator. Um, and the New York Post called it a a person with knowledge of the meeting, which the participants agreed not to talk about, told the Post the journalists went in thinking they would discuss the access they would get to the Trump administration, but instead they got a Trump-style dressing down. <laughs> Trump reportedly called the media dishonest, deceitful liars, told Zucker, who's the head of CNN, everyone there is a liar and he should be ashamed of himself. Without naming her, Trump brought up an NBC female correspondent who got it wrong, then referred to a horrible network correspondent who cried. That's a woman on Martha Raddatz on ABC. Yeah, she got yeah. all emotional after the uh, after it was announced that he won. Uh, and then it just goes on. Uh, they call it a horrible meeting. Trump spokeswoman Kellyanne Conway. And we have a little quote from her coming up here that uh, she thought it was a good meeting. Excellent meetings with uh, the top executives and anchors of the major networks. ABC, CBS, NBC, which of course includes MSNBC and also CNN and Fox News represented. Pretty unprecedented meeting we pulled together in two days. No, there's no need to mend fences. It was an off-the-record meeting. It was very cordial, very productive, a genial, but it was also very candid and very honest. I mean, from my own perspective, it's great to hit the reset button. It was a long, hard-fought campaign. Donald Trump proved that he animated America, he understood America, and now he will be president to all Americans. I've read other unnamed sources in the meeting yeah. who said it was a positive meeting. So you have the New York Post saying it was a and dressing it, down, by the firing way, squad. Well, it sounds like it. it was supposed to be an off-the-record meeting. Yeah. So they probably shouldn't be saying any, anything about it. Yeah. That's another thing. He was supposed to, Trump, uh, Donald Trump was supposed to have a off-the-record meeting with the New York Times uh, publishers this morning, followed up by on-the-record interview with some columnists and reporters – and then early this morning, Trump said that the New York Times is trying to change the rules, and so he canceled it. 
which the New York Times responded with uh, surprise, seeing that hmm. no one had talked to them yet as the meeting had been canceled. And they thought they had this all ironed <sighs> out and it was decided. So, you know, things are so continuing it seems like, on. Yeah, it seems like the hate fest with the media will continue, at least with the Times. At least at the moment. Okay, interesting. By the way, $1 million a day is what it's costing New York City to protect the Trumpster. And Trump One Tower. million dollars. Which is why they probably love him in New Jersey. The, right ma- the mayor keeps holding press conferences to uh, explain what they're doing to maybe... Oh, that's why he met with de Blasio probably the other well, day. Well, they're, that they're was talking surprising. about like they have to shut off access to some things yeah. and curtail what kind of vehicles have go more by the police road. police there. Just turns into a logistical oh, issue. Donald, Donald. Hey, um, a, uh, Trump also made a video... For the launch, kind of his what is it? It was like it was his a, first hundred a, day video. It was an update on the transition, focused towards the one first one hundred days. He's he's got so much he's going to do. This is Donald Trump's um, statement in his video about executive actions and trade. As part of this plan, I've asked my transition team to develop a list of executive actions we can take on day one to restore our laws and bring back our jobs. It's about time. These include the following. On trade, I am going to issue our notification of intent to withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a potential disaster for our country. Instead, we will negotiate fair bilateral trade deals that bring jobs and industry back onto American shores. Hmm. The prime minister of Japan met with Trump a few days ago and is quoted as saying that it, the plan is useless without the United States. Uh, but what will Trump be doing with um, immigration? Will there be a wall? On immigration, I will direct the Department of Labor to investigate all abuses of visa programs that undercut the American worker. On ethics reform, as part of our plan to drain the swamp, we will impose a five-year ban on executive officials becoming lobbyists after they leave the administration and a lifetime ban on executive officials lobbying on behalf of a foreign government. Uh, interesting. He in that big release, there wasn't much, if anything, about the wall. Nothing about the wall. It will be about first of all tightening down the visa restrictions, making sure anybody that's overextended their visa that they're dealt with, and anything that goes to harm American jobs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Don't you think? Don't you think he sounds like a completely different person? Yes. Well, he's he's reading. That's his reading voice. Yeah. <laughs> It's not too bad. Kids, use your reading voice. On uh, on the campaign trail, he sounded similar. Here's, uh, here's Donald Trump on energy and regulation. On energy, I will cancel job-killing restrictions on the production of American energy, including shale energy and clean coal, creating many millions of high-paying jobs. That's what we want. That's what we've been waiting for. On regulation, I will formulate a rule which says that for every one new regulation, two old regulations must be eliminated. So oh, important. That's great. Regulation trade. Cap, one, cap the, and trade. This is regulation cap, trade. Yeah. This is great. You want a new regulation? Get rid of two. That's cool. I mean, it's something. Hey, do you guys smell the swamp? It's draining. That's what they're all saying. We're draining the swamp. Um, interesting stuff. Um, and also, by the way, the ethics reform, he's going to start kicking out lobbyists. I mean, uh, tightening the noose around how soon people can work with the administration. Five year. That would be a five year moratorium. Normally, I think it used to be a year, right? And if you've worked in an executive uh, executive uh, manner, then you can't work for a foreign government and do consulting that way. 
Well, that would have gotten rid of Rudy Giuliani, wouldn't it? It would have, yeah. So I don't know what that maybe means. That's, maybe he's saying that. Now that means Rudy can't come in. We'll see. He's America's <sighs> mayor. He's America's mayor. <laughs> Good times. Good times, you guys. You know what? It's different, isn't it? It's something, that's for sure. Hey, by the way, apparently Donald Trump's also backing away from his threat to throw Hillary Clinton in jail. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Which is interesting because it seems like to me that's not even the that's not even the responsibility of the president of the United States. Just his Justice Department. I don't know. It just seems like kind of strange. Anyway, folks, got a great show for you. In a minute, we'll be talking about greed, power, and conflicts that have made our greatest presidents. Dr. Alastair Smith will be joining. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. We consider presidents such as George Washington, James Madison, and Abraham Lincoln some of the greatest presidents of the United States. But for what reason? Here with us today is Dr. Alastair Smith to explain to us what uh, Americans consider a great president. He's a professor of politics at New York University and the author of The Spoils of War. We're honored to have you, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure to join you, Matt. Talk to me about uh, just about greed, power conflicts that made our presidents great, Um, The Spoils of War, your book, because, you know, many are saying our current president-elect is a little greedy, maybe a little power hungry. Um, Does he have the makings of a great president? Well, I think a lot of how we should regard greatness falls back on we the people. So if you ask people objectively what they think they value in a president, we think peace and prosperity. But right. yet, if we look back at who are who we regard as our greatest presidents, they're actually not the people who've made us the greatest presidents. So, if we did a quick poll of all the historical polls of presidents, and you know the the most the the highest ranked U.S. president, the one we think of our best president is Abraham Lincoln, and right. we think of the worst one. Uh, of Warren Harding. Now, if we think about these in objective standards about what they delivered for us in terms of peace and prosperity, not a single American died in combat when Warren Harding was in office. Oh. And he produced 8% economic growth, or 8% economic growth was what the economy did during his reign. Abraham Lincoln, the economy grew by less than 2% and 750,000 Americans died. On that scale, we might want to Think about flipping the entire order by what we think about as being a great president. That is that's true. Right. I mean, if, if it's about peace and prosperity, they may not always line up. Um, but so what. So then what does bring everyone's attention? I mean, Abraham Lincoln did so many other things. George Washington, a wonderful general. Franklin Roosevelt leads us through war. Kennedy. I mean, I guess it's we also like the toughness of these people. Well, what we tend to do is we allow presidents to define ex post after the fact what constitutes victory. So James Madison, uh, we think of him as our founding father, someone, you know, uh, with such wonderful vision and foresight who would be a wonderful leader. You know, he sort of warns us in in the Federalist Papers, he says, you know, war is in fact the true nurse of uh, executive aggrandizement. 
And he goes on to say, it's in war finally that the laurels we gathered, and it is on the executive bow that they will encircle. He warns us precisely that war is a way that we can make presidents great, and we think of them as being great people. Yeah. And he himself became victim of exactly this. When the War of 1812 came around, he thought, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for the country? There was nothing. The War of 1812 achieved absolutely nothing, zero, um, except killing 5,000 Americans. Um, but it enabled him to get renominated by the Democrat-Republican Party, and it enabled his political party to crush their political opponents in congressional elections. So politically, we allow presidents to define what victory is, and that, that, that's our problem. And they may be going to war um, at times not for their people but for, their, for themselves, for their presidency, for their ego. Yeah, well, that's that's very true. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to 1812 because it's sort of a, a war that perhaps most Americans don't think of, but it's the one that Congress first voted for. It's to this day the closest congressional vote on whether on a declaration of war, and it basically came down to the fact that we're nominally fighting this war about navigation issues, about navigation laws, or trade restrictions, and impressment. This was the British Navy. Uh, detaining American ships and taking American sailors and forcing them to surf. So that's what we learn in, in, in high school textbooks. But it turns out those issues should have been very favorable to Federalist New England because that's where the trade and the sailors were. But it turns out they, every single Federalist voted against the war. The mm. war was supported by people lying out on the Western frontier and people who wanted to invade Canada and crush the Indians. Um, and why could they get this through? Because at the time, those tiny factions, they called the Warhawks, that was a Warhawk faction, they controlled the nomination for the presidency. And Madison was faced with a simple choice. Do you want a second term? If so, you're going to declare this war for us. So for him, he got a second term, and it turned out it was a complete military failure, but the U.S. call it a victory. Um and it got the, the Federalists were crushed, and it was politically very successful. The country as a whole did very, very badly. Produced The bank country was basically bankrupt at the end of the war. Uh, there was great divisions. New England were actually contemplating secession at the time. Hmm. It's Have we changed um, with President Bush? His, his numbers, his record seems to have taken a major hit by a war that, um, you know, many would say wasn't backed up by the facts. Uh, President Obama pulled us out of some of these places. And I mean, is it are we learning this lesson? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, we're not. I, I actually think George uh, George W. Bush is exactly the modern day Madison. Uh, he fought a war under very similar circumstances, and it used it politically. The key to successful war fighting and why it can be such a great tool is the people who use war successfully enable their political opponents to bear the brunt of the costs of the fighting and all their supporters to benefit. So we go back to 1812, it was the war hawks who wanted to crush the Indians and expand into Canada. Well, they failed the Canadian part, but they crushed the Indians. Um, they gained, but they weren't the ones paying the taxes that was all on trade. So New England, who were opposed to the war, were the ones that paid the taxes. Think about George W. Bush's war. The rich got massively wealthier. So median income under Bush went from 165 million median family income to 226 million, uh, $226,000 for median mm. income 
for a rich family, the top the top 20%. The bottom 20% hardly moved at all. Uh, so he managed to fight a war where his supporters, those who generally tend to be wealthier, were made better off. They weren't suffering any financial costs. Taxes were cut at the same time. You know, his fam- he had a great speech. His um, State of the Union address, he says, you know, war's expensive. We'll pay what it takes. And then 10 minutes later announces tax cuts. It's, uh, it's, he was very brilliant at transferring the cost to his political opponents and not placing any costs. So that, that's why war is a successful strategy. Hmm. Now, it, it, and compare that to LBJ yeah, and, exactly. and Vietnam. Well, LBJ, I mean, in, in the book that I've just recently written, The, the Spoils of War, he, I, very, we very much think of him as the tragic hero. He was a man who came to the presidency uh, by, I guess, accident, uh, JFK, JFK was shot, and he was determined to introduce norms of fairness. Now, norms of fairness uh, are wonderful things. It turned out, you know, uh, Voting Rights Act, civil rights, they cost his party the South. You know, the South had consistently voted for the Democrats right up until LBJ. They, the, the white male vote has not voted for the Democrats in the South since. Uh, So he handed this over. He had this norm of fairness. And in the war, what did he do? He insisted that the war was paid for because he he didn't want to have to cut back on the social programs he's implemented. When he left office in uh, 1969, there was actually a large budget surplus. He actually raised taxes to pay for the war. And he raised taxes in a way that fell across all of the population. He implemented the draft lottery that meant instead of just minorities and the relatively disenfranchised being the ones who would actually have to serve in Vietnam or in, in a draft uh, he made it such that it was very hard to avoid, such that everybody would experience the, a risk of fighting. Well, this is in some sense wonderful as placing a constraint on putting putting young men in harm's way, but it was a terrible strategy because his political supporters were seeing their sons or the kid who delivered their newspaper or the kid that served them at the diner being sent off the wall mm. and potentially coming back in a casket. So he failed politically fighting what was militarily a very similar war, a war where the U.S. won everything militarily but couldn't actually secure a peace. Hmm. But he was politically failed because he couldn't transfer the cost to his opponents. And he created a a surplus, a budget, so there was – the government was uh, at least prospering, I guess, to a degree. So – Interesting. So your your thesis basically is then uh, the presidents that go to war, really for almost whatever reason, even if it doesn't necessarily serve the country, still end up historically looking better than those that just actually create peace and prosperity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we quite simply took uh, the rank of we took a, a poll of all the polls of presidential rankings we could find. You know, so we ranked the presidents from worst to best, and then we just look at the number of combat deaths under each of the controlling for year and U.S. population and stuff. But basically, the, the presidents that ended up presided over the deaths of many Americans are those that we think of great leaders. Hmm. You know, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, George Washington didn't actually have that many deaths during his reign, but certainly that's how he came to power. Um, it's a very successful strategy, um, and we think of these as great men in, 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 in ex post. Is um, it is it because it brings the country? I mean, war brings the country together. It unifies. It creates kind of a sense of nationalism, I guess, of of the importance of 
you know, your country, does it, is it a unifying factor or what is it? Or is it all done post-presidency? Yeah, the, the, there is indeed a big – there does tend to be this big rally around the flag bump. So, yeah. you know, we can observe this uh, after 9-11. You know, Bush shot up in the public uh, – he shot up in the opinion poll ratings. Everybody supported him, although it, it was not particularly obvious what he was actually doing to deserve this support at the time. But, you know, he shot up in the opinion polls. I think the, the important thing in terms of – the the long run, or at least while the war is on, is is not so, is that this diminishes over time. So if you just plot combat deaths and support for the war, it goes down. What defines being politically successful at the time, and by politically successful I mean surviving in office, because that is all politicians really care at at the end of the day. Um, What's important is, again, transferring the the costs to the other side so that the people that you rely on to stay in power are happy with you, and the people you don't rely on, it doesn't really matter. So there's an enormous difference in public opinion polls between LBJ and George W. Bush. We we were just talking for some of the reasons I just said about transferring the costs, the human costs and the financial costs evenly across society. So if you actually track their opinion polls, they're remarkably close in terms of approval ratings. as you just track them as the war goes on for both of them. The difference is in how that partisanship is divided up. So LBJ is, there's a 20 point, he, 20% of Democrats think he's better than the Republicans do. But that means he's actually getting a, a fair number of supporters who are actually Republicans who think that they approve of how he's running the country. Whereas for Bush, the divide is a six, at least a 60-point spread once the war gets going between Democrats and Republicans. So Republicans love him. Democrats hate him. But that's the important thing is that he doesn't care what the Democrats think about him. They're not the ones he needs the support of. He's mm. not it doesn't matter. They're not. They were never going to show up at the polls for him. It's getting your key supporters to turn out. Do you think this is what's driving up partisanship today? Because it seems like uh, after Bush, you know, the Democrats couldn't have hated someone more, and now it seems like you know, Middle America is so frustrated with Obama. Well. I there, there are many so that that's a really long and complex debate. But there are simple structural things that we could do a great deal to fix. So we really have not had a serious attempt at fixing gerrymandering. Right. So the problem goes is that for many congressional leaders, all they need to do is win the primary because they're never going to lose. Primaries have incredibly low turnouts. They have all these sort of uh, anti-loser laws. So once you've run in a primary, you can't then run in the general as an independent. So you can literally sort of get get through on 30,000 votes. You can be effectively elected to Congress. And so you can appeal to an incredibly small minority, and then you can read district such that these things become even safer once you control the state house and so we've seen that the fewer and fewer districts become competitive Mm. yeah and then yeah then then everyone can stay in um let's take a break we're speaking again today with dr alistair smith he is walking us through lessons from his book the spoils of war greed power and conflict uh conflicts that made our greatest presidents When we come back, we'll talk about why it's important to look critically at our past leaders as well and uh, how this might all impact our view of future leaders, including uh, President-elect Trump. Stick with us, folks, helping you understand 
the complexity of the presidency. Stick with us. We'll be back. Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is um, is our guest, Dr. Alistair Smith, and he is a professor of politics at uh, NYU. He writes on a variety of topics on political economy, international relations, and comparative politics. He's also the author of the book, The Spoils of War, Greed, Power, and the Conflicts that Made Our Greatest Presidents. Dr. Alistair, thank you so much. Or Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, you're welcome. Is, I mean, it's you're touching... A nerve, Doctor Smith, because you well, you're messing with you're messing with these presidents. But it's I think it's important insight to know that war and popularity go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, part of the book was you know our, our publisher was like, Are you sure you want to write a book where you're going to say bad things about Washington and Madison and Lincoln and FDR? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, because we think these things need to be said. Yeah. Uh, Washington, one of the major reasons both him and many of the founding fathers were so keen to declare war for England was purely financial gains. Uh, We tend to think of when we read this sort of Declaration of Independence, we all remember the the top phrase, you know, the unalienable rights, etc. Very few of us actually bother reading down to see what the actual qualms were. But there's several things that stand out there. One was the king had actually declared the settlers uh, from the 13 colonies could not expand into the Ohio Valley. That was land for the Indians. And if it was going to be settled, it was going to be settled by English settlers, not the original colonies. And unfortunately, people like Lincoln, uh, sorry, people like Washington had made enormous land speculations in the Ohio Valley. They faced basically bankruptcy. Uh, instead, Lincoln, uh, sorry, I keep saying Lincoln, Washington went on to be one of the wealthiest men in America. He's, mm. I think, the 63rd wealthiest American, if we translate it into current dollars. Does this then, I mean, how do you separate that out from your leaders? I, I mean, Donald Trump, you know, has a lot of money. Has a, I mean, there's a lot of discussion now about ethics and what he should be allowed to do and what he, how he needs to put everything in a blind trust. And I mean... How do you separate out the the leadership and the kind of the the success factor from the presidency? Well, this is really hard. Um, uh, So some of the things we think about in the book are are ways can we strain militarism. There are simple ways to do this. And and we sort of argue there are very difficult ways. For example, fixing the electoral, getting rid of the electoral college and having a popular vote would be an enormous step because presidents would have to appeal to a much bigger base of supporters than just marginal districts in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida, which is a relatively small portion of the U.S. population. But we also come up with some simple sort of procedural ideas, just things like estimating in a non-partisan, non-ideological way, what are realistic expectations of how much a conflict will cost? How much would involvement in Syria cost? Hmm. How much would it cost if we decide to send some of the South China Sea Islands from Chinese uh, intervention. How much would that actually cost, both in terms of money, in lives, and sort of opportunity? How long is this going to take? So it turns out, you know, social scientists are actually quite good at 
um, estimating these things. We we can think about, make realistic expectations about how much a war will cost. And I can assure you that the numbers used by people who are in favor of these wars is always very tiny. So Rumsfeld tells us that the war in Iraq would be no more than $50 billion. So uh, the General Accounting Office puts it about $750 billion. That's an mm. enormous increase. You know, uh, Stiglitz and stuff is telling us that it, it's uh, it's more like $3 trillion if we mm. take in the sort of long-term health consequences, etc. But people always underestimate these costs, and so we allow politics, because we don't do this sort of relying upon statistical evidence that we can actually use to estimate costs on how many people are going to die, we allow politicians to phrase the war as, oh, it's cost us $50 billion to get rid of this tyrant in Iraq. If we were told it's going to be $750 billion, perhaps people would have been slower to go, mm. go to war. Well, and even going to war in Iraq, a lot of information was wrong. I mean, even supposed intelligence was wrong. And I, I guess I guess that's it. Once they start stirring or beating the drums of war, um, then everyone gets on board. They should be going to all of Congress as well. Right. And getting the permission to to take on a war. But I guess that doesn't happen either. Well, this is this is the problem, because the president got very much to define the debate. So when any piece of domestic legislation goes up before Congress, the Congressional Budget Office, <coughs> excuse me, uh, provide estimates of how much they think this is likely to cost, what are likely to be the policy implications, and of course there's, there's errors, but they provide a reasonable estimate of how much a particular bill would cost. You know, we've heard how much Donald Trump's wall has gone up in cost once you know people actually took a serious look at what the numbers cost. Right. It doesn't look quite as good now. But we don't do that for war. And so this is the problem is that we are sort of giving the president this open, this blank check. And if we don't support it, we're seen as being non-patriotic, which was, you know, this is what happens. Uh, this is what happened to the Federalists when they didn't support the war in 1812. They were seen as cowards and it cost them politically once the war was over. But we don't have this. We don't actually get nonpartisan ideals. You know, of course, people are opposed to the war, so it's going to cost a lot. People in favor of the war are going to cost a little. But statistically, we can estimate how much these are going to cost. Um, there are other advantages of doing this, too. It gives us some sense of how we should judge a president. So let's take Lincoln. Lincoln fought the Civil War. 750,000 Americans died, and the war took four years to win. So we actually just simply took uh, some off-the-shelf statistical models. Political scientists are the worst people at advertising themselves. <laughs> we actually know how to do, we know how to estimate the expected length of war. Just taking the enormous imbalance in manpower, materials, the fact that the the North can grow food, the South couldn't. Um, it turns out that we'd expect that war to be about six to seven months long. It's 108 miles from Washington to Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy, it took four years to go 108 miles with a vastly numerically superior army mm. and all the mechanization in the north. So in that scale, we should probably think of Lincoln actually much more as his contemporaries did, as you know, a guy with some good ideas and a good chap, but really pretty incompetent. Mm. He failed to pick a good general if we you know if the expectation had been that you know you're going to get this done in seven months then people might have been starting to raise more serious questions about him uh about whether we whether we really should re-elect him 
And is there, I guess, too, though, there's the entire wholeness of the presidency, right? So he was more than just a war. I mean, I, I guess you have to equate every other victory or I mean, is because really this is this is a big this is a big take on that you're you're taking on here, right? Separate the, the war issues. And then, but I, I guess that's the problem is everyone ends up rewriting their history after the presidency. Every I keep hearing about what will the legacy of President Obama be, and I guess he'll have the next thirty years to rewrite it. Right. Well, you know, we what do we think about Lincoln? We think he was a guy who wanted to free the slaves, yeah. sanctity of the Union, and no compromise with the South. Well, it turns out he flipped positions on all three of those issues. So he gave a speech here in 1848 talking about Polk's invasion of Mexico, where he actually explicitly says that any portion of the people that can may revolutionize and make their own of such of, of, of so much of the territories they inhabit. He explicitly gave people the right to, he acknowledged the right of people to succeed. That's not the same man who wants mm. to preserve the Union. He was very tolerant of slavery before 1855 until after Dred Scott, he was yeah. obviously an abolitionist, but it was not an issue for him uh, until such time as the Dred Scott meant uh, slavery was going to be established across the whole union. Only at that point did he realize it was a political issue that would bring him to power. And he was all for compromising with the Crittenden, uh, taking the Critton compromise to preserve the Union before, after, uh, uh, in 1860, it was only after his, he was actually fairly moderate on the abolition scale. It was only after the more sort of uh, abolitionist branch of the Republican Party said they would refuse to compromise, mm. that he actually refused to compromise with the South. So he flipped positions a lot. They're, pol- they're, they're politicians, aren't they? <laughs> they want to get, you know, he they, wanted to get elected. Yeah, you should remember exactly. how he how he came to election, how he came, how he won the election. Well, first of all, he entirely split the Democratic Party. He's the second lowest support of any president behind John Quincy Adams, and, that, and that's because it came out of the House. Uh, he had oh, he had less than forty percent of the popular vote because there were four candidates ran. He managed to ask the issue of the leading Democrat of the time in an early election, do you support slavery or not? And he had to come down on position. If he wanted to win in northern, in, in northern uh, the, 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 uh, the Senate seat in the north, he had to say he was against slavery. But that lost him in the south when it came to the general election. Um, and so he deliberately fomented this contentious issue so he could win. And he won the... And fewer people will probably think of this, but he only actually came to be the nominee because he basically cheated. It was home field territory. The, the nominating convention was, was in Illinois. And he just printed fake tickets to get into the convention, oh, sent all of his supporters into the hall beforehand, packed the hall, this was the time before microphones, None of his political contenders, their supporters, couldn't get in the call. And when they did, they couldn't be heard because he packed the front of the hall. Oh, my heavens. He cheated. He cheated. You know what, Dr. Smith, you got to be careful. You are going to get in trouble. Um, Interesting insights, though. Really, when I think about it, too, um, to think of these men not just as, you you know, sly politicians, but also as uh, businessmen like George Washington's, uh, you know, financial dealings in the Ohio Valley. It it, uh, it also shows you Donald Trump. He's a politician and a sly businessman. And uh, will he be a great president? I have no idea.
but also scary, isn't it, to think the impact of war on a presidency and on how much we like a president? Folks, we got to wake up a bit. Now, uh, just start thinking, right? We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up this first hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. With Thanksgiving coming up, uh, you know, what better topic to give one of our producers, Leanna Tan, uh, to focus on this topic of being grateful. We all know what day is coming up this week. Turkey. Thanksgiving. And besides all the delicious turkey, potatoes, and pumpkin pie, turkey. Thanksgiving is actually about a little bit more than that. Turkey. It's a day we should remember our blessings and the good things in our lives and give thanks for them. And actually, the more that we do this, the more it benefits us. Thanks for the turkey. I found this article on psychologytoday.com that says that being grateful increases your happiness, is associated with decreased anxiety and depression, makes you more socially intelligent, and improves sleep quality and duration. I want to thank you for being so nice, man. And for the turkey. I guess I better get on the bandwagon. I realized I have so many things to be grateful for in my life. Cranberry sauce on a turkey. Not just things. People. So I'm going to share with you guys today five people who have changed my life for the better, and they don't even know it. Number one, the guy at the ice cream shop who gave me a free sample of mini M&M's toppings when I asked for it. Everybody, let's chill. Do the ice cream freeze. I mean, I figure you can sample ice cream, but does anyone ever ask to sample the toppings? And he let me. It really made my night. I was able to offer mini M&M's to each of my roommates and still have like... Three extra to sprinkle on my ice cream. Number two. My second grade teacher for letting me write an unrequired report on hamsters and present it to my class. She set aside a specific time for the entire class to gather around and listen to my spiel on hamsters and even let me bring in a fake little hamster toy I got in a McDonald's Happy Meal for a visual. Thank you teachers all over the world for inspiring creativity and freedom of speech and letting little girls' dreams come true. Number three, my coworker who rescued me from the spider dangling on my desk. Probably one of the scariest moments of my life. I thought I might die or cry right there at my desk. Sure, it was smaller than a pea, but I swear I saw my life flash before my eyes. All he had to do was grab it off my desk. It took two seconds, but man, he could have saved me from a heart attack. Number four, the little girl who was taller than me and held my hand all throughout preschool and passed me the green beans during snack time. Yeah, she thought I didn't know how to talk. But it was nice to know I had a friend when the mean little boys would call me baby because I wouldn't talk to them. And number five, the sweet family who let me into their house and fed me warm tea and soup when I was cold, wet, and lost in Japan with nothing but a couple of rice crackers in my bag. I 
will remember them forever. They probably never realized what goodness one cup of warm tea could do. Man, I have been so blessed. And it just goes to show you that you never know what kind of impact a small act of kindness can have. And if you reflect on the past few days of your own life, you'll probably realize you have a lot of people to be grateful for, too. Hey, Bill, I bought a new iPhone because I spilled turkey gravy all over this old one. You want it? Otherwise, I'm just going to put it in the trash. Whether they gave you a free sample or saved you from being lost in a foreign country, there are plenty of people placed in our lives to make our lives better. I hope we all take the opportunity this Thursday to remember them and give thanks. Well, I hope you all enjoy your holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And uh, happy day before the day before Thanksgiving. Pre-pre-Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. This is when you should be it's, testing all your recipes. Yes. It's All Hallows Thanksgiving. All Hallows Thanks Eve. Eve thanks to give. Hmm. Great day, folks. A great day for all. It's Tuesday, and it's also National Start Your Own Country Day. This is the day if you want to form your own country, it's all yours. Just make sure you're eligible mm. because you have to define your territory. You got to have some land. You have to have, you have to have a permanent population. Right. You have to have a government, of course. And you must be capable of interacting with other states and governments. Declare your independence. Mm. Be recognized by other governments. And then you can join the UN. And renounce Thanksgiving. Or create your own. I mean, Canada's was what? Before the election. Yeah. So do Thanksgiving early. Thanksgiving you can have in any country. And I think you ought to. Have it once a week. (laughs) A big meal to celebrate life. Hey, great show for you today. How should we be teaching our kids to use digital media? It's it's taken over. And how, as adults, are we supposed to teach our kids when, in reality, the kids know much more than we do? We'll be getting into that with uh, Dr. Jenny Radeski. She's a developmental behavioral pediatrician and has written um, a Basically, Media and Young Minds for the American Academy of Pediatrics, their policy statement for media and your children. How cool is that? This is what uh, this is all the pediatricians gather together, create a policy statement for how we should be using media. We've got the author of that uh, article with us next. We'll be getting into all that fun. Plus, of course, a lot of headlines and a lot of information that you're not going to want to miss. One of the things, uh, boy, North Korea's ticked and telling China, quit making fun of our leader. Quit, you know, quit shaming him because of his body. China is body shaming the president. 
Well, the North Korean leader. Don't want to. I don't want to mention how. We'll, well, we'll get to the story. Kind of sounds like Trump not being able to make light of himself, or you know, when he takes to Twitter. Kind of like that, but worse because it's a horrendous dictator. Sure. But they do have unicorns. Then there's that. Then there's that little issue. We'll get to all that fun. Um, Plus somebody, I guess, is going to try to swim across the Atlantic. Sounds like a bad idea to me. I don't care if you love swimming. That just sounds like a bad idea. Now, that that may be all fine and good, but I want to see him do it after pigging out on Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) You're not supposed to swim after you eat. Mama said that. That's why it would be even more impressive. You get all those cramps and then, then you'll just die. Ah, Mama was right. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun, but first let's take to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Kellyanne Conway, who served as Donald Trump's campaign manager and will likely have a role in the White House, told reporters following the president-elect's Monday off-record meeting with reps from several TV news outlets that there was no need to mend fences with the people he spent his campaign calling crooked and dishonest. She added of the meeting, it was very cordial, very productive, but it was also very candid and honest. From my own perspective, it's great to hit the reset button, Conway said. President-elect Donald Trump has had his first meeting with a congressional Democrat on Monday morning when he sat down with Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii at Trump Tower. Gabbard, who is a supporter of Senator Bernie Sanders in the Democratic presidential primary and has been an outspoken critic of President Obama's policy in Syria, said they talked about foreign policy. President-elect Trump asked me to meet with him about our current policies regarding Syria, our fight against terrorist groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS, as well as other foreign policy challenges we face, she said. In a statement. A manhunt for a suspect in a fatal shooting of a veteran Texas police detective ended Monday evening with an arrest in the slain, which was one of the several weekend attacks that authorities say targeted law enforcement in multiple states, the AP reports. The San Antonio detective, as well as officers in Missouri and Florida, were conducting routine tasks Sunday when they became targets of violence. The detective, identified as Benjamin Marconi, 50, a 20-year veteran of the force, was shot to death in his squad car late Sunday morning outside police headquarters. San Antonio police report that the 31-year-old man, Otis Tyrone McCain, was arrested without incident after the car he was driving was stopped Monday morning, Monday afternoon on an interstate. And finally, uh, this one's for Terry. Oh, good. News about Batman. Batman has proved once again that his skills know no limits. (laughs) when he kicked a 30-yard field goal during a game at the University of Cincinnati. Really? Gotham City resident superhero was also brought into the field during a break in the, in the play of Friday night's game at, at against the University of Memphis and attempted a 30-yard field goal. The Dark Knight jumped in celebration as the crowd roared to celebrate the successful field goal, which was filmed by CBS Sports cameras as well as members of the audience. Uh, the stunt's purpose was unclear. 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 Well, it's obvious. Uh, scoring a field goal. Batman kicked a field goal. Well, why Batman? That might be obvious to some well, some of us. Who out else there. would you want to kick a field goal? Superman. It wouldn't be as impressive. <laughs> he has superpowers. Well, right, but Superman. Batman is just a man in a Batman costume. Deep. Well, he's, he's more. He has a belt. Yeah, but he doesn't have super strength or super speed. Have you seen or, his abs? Well, he's you know he's fit. I've tried Granted. to. I've tried to. He's not airbrush a, abs he's, on. He's and not it's a hard. laser beam eye wielding alien from another planet. 
Says you. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> Did you just call Superman an alien? Yeah, he's an alien. I wonder if he's got papers. I don't think anyone can enforce anything against him, so who cares? The Joker can. No, he can't. For a minute. Yeah. Then, you know, he picks him up and throws him across the room and we're done. By the way, though, this song is on point. Good background music. This is the song we played at my wedding. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Inspiring. Fantastic. My mom's like, shouldn't we change that? No, mom. This is right where it gets good. (sighs) Batman kicks a field goal saying thank you, Sadie. That's one that you don't hear a lot. Hey, this music actually might uh, go really well with the next story. North Korean officials tell China to stop its people from uh, body shaming their supreme leader. North Korean officials have allegedly requested Chinese authorities to stop their people from using the nickname of Kim Jong-un, which indicates that he is fat, according to Chinese media. The supreme leader of North Korea has been known as Kim Fatty III. Seems kind of rude. However, the search term now brings up uh, no results on Chinese social media. It's not really that clever either. No. You think they could have done something more Yeah. with that, but oh well. Uh, Kim Jong-un healthy. Do you think that would have been better? Uh, no. Kim Jong-un healthy. He's the most glorious leader. After the censorship was allegedly applied, Chinese Internet users have found different ways to keep calling him Kim Jong-un fat. They cleverly changed the Chinese character for fat into characters moon and half. Hmm. While being put together each uh, with each other, these two characters compose the character of fat. So now they're just calling him Kim uh, Jong-un fat moon. The third. <laughs> That's kind of rude. It is. It is. But I could also see where he might be a little taxing on the the people of China. But it was it's hard. He was raised by a dictator. Yeah. Who was raised by a dictator? True. It's a three generation dictatorship, or at least right. Kim Jong Il was it? Un, yeah. Il his was dad. The dad. Was his, Ill, I think. But his dad was ill. Yeah, and then he died. Then he died. Anyway. Most glorious leader, senior. Now there's most glorious leader, junior. Junior. Also known as Kim Fatty the Third. if you're in China. <laughs> That's horrible. You yeah. can't you can't fat shame even dictators. Unless it was Saddam Hussein. We used to fat shame him. Yeah. Again, I feel some of that was self-inflicted. Yeah. Hey, uh, Ninja breaks into a store mm-hmm. and steals just one thing. What do you think a ninja? What kind of a store was it? Does it say? It was a in Anchorage, Alaska. It was a game store. Who Anchorage, on Alaska? Friday night, ninja. and he only took one thing. It's probably the one thing. Was it a, a ninja needs most? Was it like a PlayStation? No, they're in a game store. No, no, it wasn't what, a PlayStation. That's what I'd pick up. It was Hint. a katana sword. Oh, so uh, a ninja stole a sword. A ninja. Now, I don't know how they know it was a ninja except through surveillance video. But a ninja, you would think, actually would not be caught on surveillance video. If he was good, yeah. 
So he's obviously not a good ninja. He would disable well, they, surveillance. They don't know his identity. Good point. But they're supposed to be without a trace. Mm-hmm. You didn't know they were there. You didn't, they were in and gone before you even knew anything so happened. So if a ninja is seen, it is because he wants to be seen. Mm. That's what one would be led to believe. They saw no other evidence. The only evidence of any damage was to the front door to get in. But then he just took the sword and he went on his merry way. Hmm. He probably needed it to carve the turkey this week. Well, then he needs one of those automatic katana swords. Oh, have you seen those? Those are great. Just plug them in. I've noticed the extension cord on them. They're not very long cords, so you'd need a nice extension cord. If you wanted, like, a lot of movement with your Mm. electronic katana sword. Not electronic, electric katana sword. (sighs) Any uh, uh, Thanksgiving news coming up? Any turkey news? So, um, conversations around the holiday table. A lot of people are worried about the fight. Should we bring up Donald? Should we not? Yeah, just bringing up confrontation. Things that you know are going to lead to a fight, you may Mm -hmm. want to avoid. Just don't bring it up. The Wall Street Journal and the New York Times both came up with a list of ways that you can avoid the family dinner blow up, but still discuss politics. First, put on a little light jazz. Light jazz. You got to set the mood. I would suggest just avoiding it altogether. I don't think there's possibly a way not to get get people all riled up. Mm -hmm. Even if you all uh, agree violently together. Yeah. Still, it's going to be awkward. Like this one says, if you're going to go with politics, use I but not you statements. I think you're an idiot. Just listen. Keep in mind what is shared. Remember, the other person is a complex individual also. Yeah. I don't want to think of my, you know, aunt so-and-so as complex. Let's just talk about something trivial. Hey, you know? so what did you guys do this year? And then the New York Times says 19 questions to ask loved ones who voted the other way. There you go. So describe your relationship to me. Are we close? Who did I vote for and why? What was the most important issue for you? Why did you feel differently about this issue than okay, I did? But this is this okay, this seems like you're you're right on the edge though of <laughs> yeah. the precipice. Like <laughs> it's going to blow up. I think the turkey pardoning would be an important one for me. What part of your brain did you lose? Then it goes through, do you think I'm sexist or racist? Do you feel ignored or misunderstood? At the end, what do you think we agree on? And the last one is, do you still like me? (laughs) That's good. I would avoid this. And this is a list of things you, topics that are okay to talk about. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, one, Adele. You know what? (laughs) Honestly, how could Adele go wrong? Adele's, uh, She's like a black dress. What are you going to do? You can wear everywhere. Just don't get into the conversation on whether or not she should uh, do the Super Bowl halftime. Right. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't like that. She's kind of scared. Um, the Olympics, right? They happened a few months ago, but still, yeah. they might be on people's minds. I don't I know. I don't know. Um, talk about how good the food is. This food is great. Everyone can wow. enjoy the food. Who did the beans? Who brought this green just salad? <laughs> just don't point out the dry stuffing. It just yeah. it'll make someone mad. Uh, this is the Kardashians. Good or bad, everyone will have an opinion. Oh, that's true. Okay. Oh, everybody will agree that they're just bad. You can always throw them under the bus. The, the next upcoming holiday, Christmas or Hanukkah, depending on your uh-huh. situation. Everyone what, likes to talk about what that What are you one. guys doing for Hanukkah? Right. Dogs. If there are dogs, mm-hmm. uh, dog owners, in the, the, everyone right. loves talking about uh, dogs. Whose dog is this at my foot? My foot? Just All dogs leave it go alone. to heaven. I would toss in kids. Yes. Some of the most pointless conversations I've ever been in are discussing things. You can talk about kids, kids forever. 
uh, Tom Hanks. Everyone loves Tom oh, Hanks. Yeah. He's That's America's great. dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone That's loves his movies, great right? School. School. People are in school. They were in school. Uh huh. Do you think Donald Trump's going to get rid of the Department of Education? Well, I'm, no. I'm no. too cool for school. Maybe too far. Okay, don't bring that uh, up. Any sports team. People How love about to talk them about Patriots? Yeah. How about the Cubs? The Cubs. Everybody Cubs. loves the Cubs. That's great. The weather. Oh, Everyone likes to look out outside. the window and comment. And finally, anything but Trump. Talk about Beyonce. Do you think Beyonce anything. really hates Donald Trump? Talk about shoe polish. Do whatever you need to do. Don't talk about him. <laughs> Happy. And then the final note. Yeah. Nabisco reportedly Ugh. making apple pie Oreos. Hmm. Just being like an apple pie cream filling. Obviously, if you actually had a little bit of an apple on the Oreo. They also have caramel apple Oreos that are out there. <gasps> that sounds good. I think that's a good flavor. You could talk about that. You could talk about Oreos. But mm. chocolate, and is it a, wait, is it a chocolate cookie or is it like a, They'd be the, uh, you'd have to like have a like a graham like a, cookie the, or something. What is that, the golden cookie they have? Oh, but you'd have, yeah. well, you'd have to have, but you'd have to have like a cinnamony mm. cookie. Yeah. Or just have that in the cream, a little cinnamon mm. flavor. Could be good. Cinnamony. Cinnamon. That makes me hungry too. A new word. Ah. Uh. I just don't want to turn this jazz off, though. Little light jazz. Hey, we will take a break. When we come back, how should we teach our kids to use digital media? We got the expert here, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live one day at a time. Mobile devices have made our lives incredibly convenient, haven't they? With a single click, you can find out where your kids are, order groceries, or check next week's weather. But with that convenience comes the danger of losing a sense of reality, and that danger is extended to children. So how do you make wise decisions on how your children should use these digital devices? Here to help us sort through these issues is pediatrician Dr. Jenny Radeski. She's an assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Michigan. She earned her MD from Harvard Medical School and is uh, the author of the new American Academy of Pediatrics policy statement, for Media and the Young Minds. Dr. Rodesky, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. What a, an important, I think, topic, especially now during this holiday season. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going. Uh, in fact, Dr. Rodesky, do you have a, tele- or a phone on or a radio on? Uh, I don't. Oh. It's just my landline. We just have an echo here. Oh. Um, you know what we're going to do? Let's Let's just take a break, and we'll we'll try to have you reconnect on the line so that we don't have the echo. Otherwise, yep. our listeners won't be able to hear us. But be thinking while you while we take the break. Uh, I want to know what we can be doing as parents this weekend, this holiday, um, over the holidays with our kids to talk to them effectively about media use. We'll take a break, folks. Be right back. Stick with us. We'll get the line straight. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just had to uh, check a line, change a line out. Let's uh, go to Dr. Jenny Radeski and talk about how um, we should be working with our children on their digital media use. Dr. Radeski, again, thank you so much for being with us. Sure. How do I sound uh, now? Perfect. Sound now, okay. Okay. That, good. Uh, it was really our. It was my line for some reason. Hey, we really kids love phones, and they are. They're really good at a lot of these digital devices. In fact, many ways, they're much better than their parents. Mm-hmm. So, But the parents, we need to step up and make sure we're leading out on these devices, right? Instead of just letting the kids lead and let them do what their friends say they should be doing. Mm. And I think that d- digital products and digital devices are designed to be really engaging and habit-forming. You know, there are textbooks actually written about how to create the best video game, the best digital product that will keep us clicking. And so it makes sense that when adults like us have difficulties breaking the habit of always checking Facebook or another uh, social media or something else on our device, you can imagine how Mm. a little immature brain that doesn't have the same attention controls or impulse control that we do and has more immature reward centers in their brain that are just starting to mature, that that might be even more uh, habit-forming for kids. And I don't use the word addiction because I don't think that this, um, for little kids, it's more you can, you can create healthy media habits and you can also break the more kind of compulsive ones that, that tend to develop when kids start to prefer digital play over lots of their other play. I mean, it really, it, it's habit or not, it, it's, it makes sense because these things are so entertaining and the, and the brain, mm-hmm. and they're actually, they're creative and you can use it. I know a lot of what you teach too is how the proper use of media. Talk to us about what, I mean, what ages should we start in introducing technology? A lot of parents, you know, historically have joked about we just hand them the iPad to keep them busy and quiet during a meeting or whatever. Oh, sure. How, how do what, – what are some of the overall guidelines we need to pay attention to as parents? Well, you know, our new American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines changed a little bit. We shifted things a little bit younger, recognizing that lots of families are using Skype or FaceTime or video chat. Uh, with their infants and their toddlers and young kids to keep in touch with um, deployed parents or with grandparents, that's great. There's, there should be no limits on how we use media um, like video chatting to connect with each other or to look at pictures together um, on a phone, you know. But um, the handover, the I want you to be quiet or I, I want you to stop that fussing, um, that is so easy and it works so well and we really don't know yet whether that has a, a negative or positive impact on kids in the long term. If, if they start to expect that that is the way that they calm down or that is the way they start to control um, their, um, their behavior. Mm. So we're, we, we recommend a couple things. Number one is if you want to introduce technology early, don't feel pressure. You know, the devices and apps and um, tablets are, are created so intuitively that, that my two-year-old, as soon as he started fiddling with it, he figured it out, you know. Um, mm-hmm. so, so they'll figure it out, and especially now that schools are really introducing a lot of technology starting in kindergarten, don't be worried that your kid won't keep up. Um, I interviewed a lot of parents, um, ranging from lower-income 
um, urban families to to suburban families whose parents work for tech companies. Um, I just published it in the Annals of Family Medicine, and what we heard was we had all these tech company parents being like, oh, I keep this under wraps. Like, I don't want my kid to get out of control with this. Whereas the lower-income families kept saying, I want my kid to keep up. I want my kid to be competitive in the new economy. I'm going to just give them their own device when they turn one because it's got to be good, right? It's marketed as educational. Um, So we really wanted to send the message, don't feel pressure. But if you want to introduce early, starting around like 18 to 24 months, use media with your kids. Sit them on your lap and play that game together on the device or watch a show together because that's how they'll actually learn Mm. from it. Otherwise, their brains are so immature that they're really going to be using it kind of as a sex toy, Mm. as a, a, you know, hit this, listen for sound effects. I guess it's like a book, right? I mean, you don't just hand your one-year-old or 18-month-old a book. You would sit them on your lap and work with them and talk to them and go through the book. And and. Research has shown that that's how children who are um, under about two and a half, between one and a half and two and a half, children um, really start to understand symbolic thinking. They start to understand that a two-dimensional image represents something in their three-dimensional world around them. So they, but they usually need a parent to help them make that transfer from hmm. 2D to 3D. They need a parent to say, oh, look, that's a duck. We just saw a duck at the pond yesterday. What noise does a duck make? And all those different contextual explanations about meaning actually help a child learn from a two-dimensional media source. So, so we really want the message to be to parents, don't think that just because the app says it's educational on the iTunes store, it, there, there's most of those apps have not been tested, and most of them are really basic. The most educational thing is going to be using that just the way you would use a book. Sit down, get some new ideas about how to talk to your kid and play with your kid together with the technology. Yeah, it's, so one of the keys, I guess, is it's not replacing you, you as a parent. It's, again, supplementing learning. Sure, and, and also, I'm a realist. And I am a parent of a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. <laughs> and I started writing these guidelines when I was a parent of a two-year-old. So I understand the benefit of handing them that tablet so that I can have an actual adult conversation. Um, and so I, I really don't want parents to feel judged that, um, that we're now taking away this very effective behavioral management tool. We just want parents to be really cognizant and intentional about how they're using technology, you know, if they want to bring a tablet out to a restaurant to keep their kid um, happy and, and seated, then then just know that, that it is, um, you know, as the child gets older, they may need to work a little extra hard to help that child learn how to do those things on their own, mm. you know, just to tolerate the boredom of sitting in a restaurant or, yeah. or, or entertaining themselves with, with crayons or a book. Um, when- and... Where do they? Where do you get the insight as to what tools are the best? What sites are the best? What do you recommend? You know, a new mom do. Um, I have a daughter. We have a grandchild. This grandchild loves grabbing your phone, loves pushing the button, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much all she feels good about doing right now. <laughs> right. And then throws it. Um, but where should my daughter go to find the best? programs, the best learning tools? 
Well, we, um, in our new American Academy of Pediatrics statement, we specifically suggest that parents go to commonsensemedia.com, which is a nonprofit website that uh, evaluates different apps, different books, different games, um, different movies, and it really gives a great age rating for when that uh, digital product or media product is good for kids. And it also gives an idea of whether it's quality, whether it has been designed, you know, with any input from a, um, someone who understands the way kids think and learn, or whether it's just another kind of repetitive um, cause and effect toy. Mm. Um, the other thing that we recommend is is just the the tried and true uh, educational programming from Sesame Workshop, from uh, PBS, Public Broadcasting Service, um, PBS Kids has a great website for different, um, not only the, the TV shows. I don't want parents to think that TV shows are less educational than apps because actually TV shows, they tell a nice linear story that young minds can really follow and understand, whereas apps are kind of broken up little chunks of knowledge with like little distracting bells and whistles at mm-hmm. the same time. So, you know, parents can look at those websites, you know, see what things might fit their child's uh, uh, stage of development. Um, I always recommend that parents use an app with their child, watch a show with their child, see if they like it, see if they like the way the child acts afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely shows that I, I have my sons watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood which is still on Amazon Prime, wow. yeah. because they're so calm afterwards, <laughs> and they say such nice things to right. each other afterwards. Um, whereas, you know, after a uh, a show that's about ninjas, you know, sometimes they fight afterwards. <laughs> they go all ninja on yeah. each other. It's so true. And sit down, spend some time um, going through that. And I guess when you think about it, I mean, you're you're making these decisions, you know, kind of collectively – in your role with um, the American Pediatrician Pediatric uh, Association, mm-hmm. is that right? Um, so so th- th- these aren't you're not just throwing these out there. This is really the depth of of, of setting a great opportunity and a foundation for our kids to learn from. Yeah, we really wanted this to be based on as much research evidence as possible because we know that digital media and kids is such an emotional topic for people. You know, it really triggers people to feel judged or people are either anxious about all these new technologies that are feel like they're coming out every month. Um, and on the other hand, many people are, are the early adopters who love filling their houses with technology and they feel very judged by people who say, tell them to limit it. Um, so, so in order to not seem like we were coming from one camp or the other, a pro-media or an anti-media, we really just wanted to look at the evidence. Um, and the evidence shows, you know, that as young as 18 months, if parents are working and together using media together with kids, kids can start to learn some basic concepts. Um, but it's the, the most important thing is that it's not displacing sleep it's not displacing physical activity. It's not displacing family routines like meals where we sit and we connect emotionally and have conversations. And that kids get some time to play in ways that their brain takes the lead, not the app takes the lead. Mm. You know, because that um, kind of unstructured play, going outside and figuring out how to build a fort, is the sort of, uh, those are the sorts of play activities that help predict a child being persistent. 
a child having some flexible problem solving, about having a longer attention span, the stuff that really matters for succeeding in school. You know, so as pediatricians, that's what we care about. We want kids to be happy and healthy and, and successful. And we're just trying to give some suggestions for how media can be used in families to not displace all that other good stuff. I know in your article, um, How Should We Teach Our Kids to Use Digital Media, you brought up the fact that we maybe need to have a, an unplugged time or an un, a time where we turn off all the devices. Um, h- how have you seen that used? I think uh, so far people seem to like it because it's a very concrete, doable thing. Um, it is. Uh, it, it sometimes is easier to count the unplugged times and spaces in your house rather than counting up the screen time. Yeah. Um, because now that mobile devices can be taken anywhere and used instantly, it's much harder to count how many minutes we're actually using them. So by creating, you know, no um, a rule about no devices at the dinner table, or say there's a playroom or a bedroom that's just going to be device free because. Every time the child's in there, you want them to be focused on their play, you want them to be calming down to sleep, or you want the parent to be focused on the child, not distracted by what they have to do on their device. So um, I think that that has been met with a lot of positivity from parents and providers on, on how to create these intentional, you know, uh, unplugged zones and spaces. Sometimes when I'm talking to um, children in clinic, who are, who are using technology kind of throughout the day, we'll make a deal that they'll try to create just one new unplugged space. Like, hmm. for example, um, one patient I have, we decided on car rides because I wanted him to get some practice just staring out the window and looking at clouds or being bored or having a conversation with his mom because their relationship was getting kind of strained. And so, and he found that to be doable because I wasn't asking him to, to cut it all out. I just wanted him to start to create some new normal around not always being plugged in. Yeah. And and he was able to do that. He did. And he was proud to tell me the next time, you know, that he was counting um, punch buggies <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like that he would compete with his mom. And it was just a nice new dynamic in, in their relationship. That's neat. Do you, um, do you notice, I just talked to a pediatrician the other day, and we ended up talking about how we we're seeing more and more anxiousness uh, in children, more and more um, attention deficit disorder, maybe or hyperactivity disorder. Do you do you sense that is that real? Are, are we seeing more cases of anxiety, ADHD, and and is is any of this technology use creating other impacts on our families? So as I'm a developmental behavioral pediatrician, so I see lots of kids with ADHD and autism and behavioral issues um, and learning issues. So I do know that the rates of a lot of these early developmental and behavioral issues are increasing. Part of that might be that we're better at identifying it. We have our radars out for, for kids who are showing early signs of these developmental difficulties. Um, uh, there probably is a bit of a true increase also, but, but there's, it's so multifactorial, yeah. right? Yeah. We have a lot of child poverty, and that is a huge predictor of child ADHD or trauma symptoms or anxiety. Um, we have a lot of parents who themselves have mental health problems or who are struggling to get the care for their own issues. Um, so, so uh, of course, those are the bigger issues that are harder to solve mm. in our society um, that that are probably linked 
to a rise in child difficulties. I don't think, you know, personally, I don't believe that media is is like causing ADHD or causing autism. I think that there are probably kids who, you know, we know that kids who have ADHD, you know, right from infancy, we can see that they're these little movers. They're constantly on the move. They have a shorter attention span. They have really intense emotions. They're harder to parent. And so, you know, one of my hypotheses is that we tend to hand those kids devices more mm-hmm. to keep them quiet, to try and teach them new skills or to try and entertain them. And then that, um, in some cases, starts to displace the play or the parent-child conversations or activities that are really important for, for those children developing attention skills or impulse control skills or creative thinking skills. So um, we need more research to look at those kids over time. And, and I mean, you you even brought that up that the benefits of you know raising our children healthy and strong even with technology is persistence, attention span, you know the fact that they can accomplish something and make something happen. I mean, th- this is there's some great benefits to life if we just you know help people develop. It's mm-hmm. it's these children need to develop through the stages of development in a healthy way. And uh, that's always going to demand more attention and time. Yeah, it's it's hard work, um, and it's um, it's much easier, of course, to to use digital tools to try and meet some of those needs. So, you know, what I often recommend to, to parents is that if your child is is now used to getting handed their, their tablet when they're being too active or being too loud or they're in distress and they're upset, then you know, don't just hand them some random YouTube video. Hand them the video that shows Elmo belly breathing to mm. learn to calm down when they have a monster inside them. Or hand them the Daniel Tiger app that's about feelings so they can use the media as a tool, you know, together with the, with the parent would be ideal to say, how are you feeling right now? What can you do about it? Because that that idea of identifying and regulating your emotions is again a huge predictor of school success and relationship success. You know that we don't explode every time we get frustrated. So um, you know it would be great if parents can use some of these you know social emotional learning apps to try and to introduce an idea to their child, but they shouldn't rely only on that because what helps the most is is looking at your parent or your caregiver. And having them look back at you and say, oh, you're really frustrated right now. Hmm. You know, what are you working yeah. on? Let me help you with this. And, and that's how kids build that emotional awareness of like, oh, mom says I'm feeling frustrated. I must feel frustrated inside. What can I do about this? Let me follow mom's advice. So um, that's, that's really what I don't want the mobile device to displace. And, and that, um, boy, that is... That's just emotional intelligence, right? That's right. managing, recognizing your own emotions, managing your emotions, recognizing the emotions of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess we we tend to think of, you know, it's it's the new devices that are causing all of today's ills. And um, what do you – what other hopes do you see? I mean, I've also heard therapeutically they're able to use some of the – some technology to even – you know, enhance people's uh, disabilities and and other benefits. So we don't need to demonize the media or the technology, right? Right. It's a tool. I mean, it's like a hammer. You can build something with it or you can 
hit someone in the head with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that it's, it's how you use it, right? And every time a new tool is introduced into society, it makes us uncomfortable because it feels like, oh, this is new. And, and many people feel like they're controlled by the technology rather than they controlling how they use the technology. Mm. So if we are constantly feeling controlled by all of our notifications and our uh, email load and our, um, you know, these new, um, these new norms of being constantly available to our coworkers or to our social media friends, then maybe we need to shift the balance a little bit and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in control here. I'm going to decide when I'm checking this. I'm going to decide what notifications I get. I might even, you know, I even know people who take email off of their um, cell phones, hmm. off of their smartphones, because they know that email is, especially work email, is going to suck them in. Yeah. And they want to contain work email to specific times of day when they have to actually open up their laptop and check it. So that's, that's you know, you can, you can craft your device and turn off notifications all you want to try and uh, create, a, create a do not disturb sign for the hours of 5 to 8 p.m. if those the hours that you're with your kids after work. Or there's even apps, like there's an app called Moment for iPhones and an app called um, Quality Time for Android. And those let you track the amount of time that you're spending on your phone um, as a parent and then even create little times um, of day when you don't want to be disturbed or you, don't, you want to be reminded not to use your device. Um, so, so back to your question of, you know, the technology isn't, the source of all society's ills, but technology definitely interacts with our ills <laughs> to mm-hmm. either potentiate them or help them. And I think when we start to control how we're designing technology and using it, we can start to address some of the ills rather than potentiate them. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, just a, a general guideline. I know really uh, quickly you, you had mentioned about one hour for for children, um, young children, is is it still one hour of media time for you know teenagers? You know the the we did two separate policy statements because we felt like media rules should actually be kind of different between sure. the zero to five year olds and the school age and teens. So I I was not an author on the school age and teen report, but I I know I was very involved in all their conversations to not have. Um, and a certain time limit. Um, they did review the evidence on um, health risks of excessive media use, and they found that when you're worried about obesity, you should probably keep um, media use, entertainment media use, to about an hour to an hour and a half a day. Um, that's what the new research shows. So, um, but they didn't want to apply that recommendation to all kids because every kid is different. So, I do think if if parents are worried about obesity, they should talk with their their families or their doctor about how to try and limit it, you know, to the, that time where you're just sitting and, and doing something fun to just an hour. Um, for all other kids, the message is really do everything else you need to do to be healthy, and then the leftover time is yours to do whatever you want to do with it, whether it's screen-based or not. So get your, if you're a teenager, get your 8 to 10 hours of sleep per night you know, get your homework time in. Don't multitask because mm. that's just going to make you worse at everything you're right. going to do. Um, and then, you know, don't have your devices around when you're trying to have conversations because that's going to make your, your social relationships suffer. So true. And that, that there's just the whole etiquette side to this as well. Oh, yeah. 
Man, great stuff. Dr. Jenny Radeski, thank you so much for your insight. Keep up your great work there at the University of Michigan. And uh, everybody, again, we'll be posting all of the links uh, that she mentioned um, on our Twitter page, at Dr. Macho. Powerful stuff, folks. Again, it's a tool. But you're the hand, right, that will move the tool. Teach your kids. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back talking unique Thanksgivings with Caitlin Thomas. Stick with us. It's Thanksgiving week, folks, and I'm getting ready to stuff myself with some turkey and potatoes. But Caitlin Thomas joins us today to talk about uh, some families who don't do the traditional meal for Thanksgiving. And we're going to decide which one sounds good, which one sounds uh, just outright horrible. Caitlin Thomas, thanks for being here. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving week. Thank you. Did you hear the original uh, Thanksgiving? They ate beaver. Beaver? Just like beaver meat. Did they also eat a turkey or is that just a make-believe? I don't know if they had turkey. Beaver. They did have beaver. Beaver so on loaf. A scale, like, so does beaver to you sound good or does beaver sound bad? Well, you know, they're just so hard to catch. I think it's illegal to eat today. Can we even eat beaver? Yeah, no, yeah. I don't think we can eat beaver. I don't think we hunt beaver. Beaver, uh, beaver jerky is really good. Mm. Anywho, yeah. just bringing a little update, a little history lesson. There. Not <laughs> a big you. deal. Not a big deal. Hey, um, so strange things people eat. Yeah, well, so I went online and started finding a few, but for some reason it just didn't feel as funny. So I went to Facebook again and asked my friends for some help. Yeah. And I was actually surprised by how many people have odd Thanksgiving traditions. When like, I say odd, I mean yeah, just not the, traditional. Out of the ordinary, right? Not traditional. Um. This one's kind of along the traditional line. So, Matt, you're going to have to tell me if this is good or okay. bad. They make eggnog pumpkin pie. Good or bad? That sounds good. Mm. Do you like eggnog? I don't really like eggnog. I think it sounds delicious. Bing. Don't you think? I, it could be. I'm sure. They said they said it was delicious. Mm. But they've never heard of anyone else make it before. No, I've, I've never heard of that so ever. So the, they're mixing Christmas and Thanksgiving into one I wouldn't, pie. I wouldn't even mind just having some eggnog, eggnog to drink and... Some pie to eat. <laughs> just mm. separate them. Um, another friend told me that she has a client that has a seafood dinner instead of like turkey and potatoes. Really? They do seafood dinner like for Thanksgiving. Like lobster bisque? Yeah, salmon, sure. I don't know. I'm not a seafood eater. Good or bad? Uh, it seems wrong. Uh, yeah, not not to be judgmental, but I mean... God gave us turkey for a reason. But at least they don't have to go scavenging for a turkey while ever, they're, they're buying fish while everybody else is trying to grab a turkey. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Paul Akiko. Yeah. He's from our team. Um, he's a Hawaiian. He's Hawaiian, Asian. I believe. Yeah. Hawaiian, I believe. Um, they eat raw fish, poke, and fried noodles for Thanksgiving. Oh, no. Okay. Good or bad? For Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It went in Hawaii. You've got to do as the Hawaiians. Positive. That's right. That's a good one. Okay, we'll take that. Poke, huh? Um, a friend of mine, they have guacamole every year. Oh, Jeff approves. Jeff just jumped on that one. Yeah, okay, I'm good with that. Guacamole and tacos. Terry Ooh, actually tacos. mentioned that his uh, mother-in-law, I think it was, does yeah. like a different theme every year. Yeah. One year it was, it was like tacos. And, Gre- and-, and one, one year it was Greek. That'd yeah, be great. Greek Thanksgiving. I mean, that's kind of fun. Mix that, it up. That, that should way. be like the second meal. You still yeah. need to have the turkey, but then move on to the like guacamole the and tacos. Yeah, that could be dessert. Okay, this one's my favorite. This was from a friend, Liesel, and I'm just going to read what she wrote. Okay. 
Every year, my family has a bowl of Cheetos on our fancy Thanksgiving table. It started when my sister was little because she was a picky eater and wouldn't eat anything else, and they've done it every year as a joke. So if they get invited somewhere else for Thanksgiving, they bring the Cheetos. <laughs> That's cute. That's great. What do you think? Bowl, I think it's good. Bowl, <laughs> bowl of, of fancy Cheetos on the table with the turkey. Well, I think what's I fun, love that. It's just kind of. It's also a little, just a little hand, little food. We always ate the olives. The minute we'd walk in and we saw olives, we'd put one on each finger. We'd eat all the olives. But you could have Cheetos. I'm, I'm I a big Cheeto fan. As long as they're puffs. Mm. Well, I love the crunchy, but I love the puffs. That's cool. That's cool. Um, uh, another friend responded that their aunt Mary always makes corn pudding. And so she makes it too, but nobody eats it. <laughs> they do it in the <laughs> name of she- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aunt Mary. Oh, sorry, Aunt Mary. I'm sure she says nobody eats it, but she makes it just because of tradition. Yeah. That's the sound of corn pudding coming back <laughs> out. Ew. Gross. Yeah, that's there's some things that never were supposed to happen. I think this one's my least favorite one. They do a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, but they always have an appetizer lunch that includes things like escargot and monkfish liver. Oh. oh. Yeah, let's not do that. That just, <laughs> that just sounds bad. Mm. I'm just stick with turkey. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the last one. Yeah. So... There's this little place in Salt Lake City called the Little America. Yeah. You know, Matt? You've been there. It's a huge place. And that's where their family goes every year for Thanksgiving. Ah, They won't go anywhere else. Yeah. So I was interested, and I looked, and a lot of my other friends, so that was kind of a fancy one, but then a lot of my friends, they go to Chuckarama. Oh, no. I've- Is that uh, normal? I've gone to Chuckarama before. For Thanksgiving? It's a, a, what do they call it? A uh, smorgasbord type of buffet place. Yeah. But, yeah, we've done that. It's like a, I don't we do know, it's Golden Corral. Is well, like, like if we're out of town, we might do that. But we walk 15 miles on Thanksgiving. What? We walk for 15 miles. Why? To be grateful <laughs> that we can okay. walk. Okay. And, and so sometimes okay. we, we just walk to a restaurant. Well, I was really interested to see how many of our listeners like eat at a buffet or if they eat at home. So we're actually running a poll on Twitter. Okay. So if anyone's listening, go to the Dr. Matt Townsend Show Twitter page and answer the poll. That's Do you go to a buffet? I mean, I feel like that's kind of the easy way out. It's, it's totally the easy way out. She and said that she, a friend of mine said that then her kids get everything that they want. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't have to cook it. And you don't and have, to have to clean, clean up. up. You walk out, you're gone. Wait, you're done. How, so, how far do you hike? 15 miles. Totally. 15 miles to get to the buffet, Chuckarama? Yep. Okay. And, or wherever. Usually it's to grandma's house, but, you know, grandma's not with us anymore, so. Mm, you're making this really sad. I think it's the music. I know. <laughs> I think it was that. I think it was the corn pudding the corn or whatever. corn pudding. I'm Ugh. sorry, Aunt Mary. Well, anyway, that's, uh, those are some great, that makes us all feel better. But there better. you have it. Yeah. So even if it, your traditions are out of the ordinary, stick to your traditions. Because that's Kay- what Thanksgiving's about. Caitlin Thomas, she knows. Just have a good Thanksgiving. How to not be out of the ordinary. Or if you like. Stay out, out of the ordinary. ordinary. I'm Stay okay out with that. It. Well done, Caitlin. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, helping you get ready for the holidays. Today, we've got a great show. Holy cow. We're going to be talking with Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist, the, uh, you know, the antidote to death. Please tell me he's not going to tell us to not overeat at Thanksgiving. No, I think he wants you bloated and totally gassed up. For equal time, he's going to talk about healthy Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I have tips on how to eat as much food as humanly possible. Okay, but okay. You have to prepare. You have to work several days beforehand to expand your stomach. We'll talk about it. (laughs) See, this is what I was talking about yesterday when I asked you if you were training for Thanksgiving. No. You can't just walk in there. You need to stretch. No, you need to I, warm up. Remember, I walk 15 miles. That's not the kind of stretching we're talking about. <sighs> this is usually when my arches collapse. Then I can't walk for a week. Mm. But I have my orthotics now. I think I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm walking three and a half miles a day. I'm good. Orthotics. You're getting older by the minute. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. But uh, we will talk with the good Dr. Ron Hager about healthy habits it's a great time to i mean you can go eat Mm. you don't need to actually stretch your stomach we'll talk about it there's an opportunity here i think to die no to really enjoy thanksgiving but you can also there's a lot of you might have some time off it's a great time to hey kids let's go throw the ball let's go play tennis i'm gonna play tennis five days in a row hang out with your family yeah it's called family time Mm. it's just it's just right. an idea. All right. I mean, you don't have to do it. It's okay. What, what we do is I carry the, the Christmas tree upstairs, and then I go downstairs, and the family decorates for Christmas. Oh, Sounds fair. Geez. I carried See, the tree. I did my part. That's why we go out of town, because, oh, that's when all the neighbors start turning on their Christmas lights. Yeah. That means I've got to get, I've got neighbor pressure. Just say no. See, everybody else puts out the long strands of lights all over their house. I just I just have like eight light bulbs on my house that light my whole house. And I just put a green one and a red one and a green one. We, and I alternate. Bada boom, bada bing. We turn on the front porch light and we hang a wreath on the door. We're done. Well, that's not festive. It is. You look over at my house, you're like, oh, there's a wreath. Christmas. Wow. Yeah. Somebody sounds like Scrooge. I don't have to get on my roof and break my neck trying to string lights right. that I don't want to really put up. Right. I don't my, have to worry about taking them down when it gets colder in January. But my son that's on a mission mentioned a mean one. the fact Mr. that we never got into lights. Yeah. And he kind of was sad. Yeah. Well, you can tell him when he comes home he can put the lights up. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's the bummer. I just feel like I just took down my lights. Which I actually did about four months ago. The new the new <laughs> thing is uh, right along your rain gutters, yeah. they'll put in these LED strips. Mm. And they can change your lights. They'll have a Christmas setup. There's a Halloween setup. Oh, that's a neat idea. You just flip the, the LEDs. You can yeah. change the lights out. They, they just automatically just change with the season. And it's right underneath the eaves. So it's not like you, mm. you can't see them yeah, anywhere. No, technology. Yeah. It's that's wonderful. so good. This song is for the two of you. Christmas is all hassle. You know what? At least we're not moving. Because nothing worse than moving on Thanksgiving. Right. It's the day before Thanksgiving, I'll have you know. basically Thanksgiving. And there's free pizza involved. So if you want to show up, please do. So Jeff spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a home, and Mm. all he got was free pizza. He's like, pizza, guys? Really? You had me at free pizza. Wait till you see what kind of pizza it is. Yeah. (laughs) 
Microwave. Yeah. Hope your microwave's working. Uh, we'll get to that fun stuff, plus uh, more stories about it's a party pizza. How to about? make it through Thanksgiving, and then later we'll um, be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Mm. Find out how they celebrate. Nice. I think they're going to have to work. Yeah, they have a show every day. Yeah, it's horrible to be them. Yeah. There's no rest for the wicked. Wow. I didn't know that we were going to judge people yeah. like that. Mm. Seemed kind of harsh. Happy holidays. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> By the way, you noticed the Grinch music stopped. Yeah. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, a uh, hero story, of course. And then we'll wrap it up. This is the last show until, you know, next week. Sorry. But we got to take a break. People have got to live. Got to go gain some weight. Then go to the hospital and have my bowel untwisted. Uh, anyway. TMI. We'll, we'll take a no. Let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country that we need to be worrying about? Supermodel Gigi Hadid has issued a half-hearted apology after her impression of Melania Trump at the American Music Awards was slammed for being racist. The 21-year-old released a handwritten apology on Twitter, but took sh- subtle jibes at her critics. She wrote, "Whether or not you see it, it was done in good humor with no bad intent." Gigi, who presented the AMAs with comedian Jay Farrow, took a swipe at Melania in the opening moments of the show. President-elect Donald Trump's administration will break a campaign promise and not pursue further investigations of Hillary Clinton related to her private email server or the Clinton Foundation, Trump's former campaign manager Kellyanne Conway said Tuesday. I think when the president-elect, who's also the head of your party, tells you before he's even inaugurated that he doesn't wish to pursue these charges, it sends a very strong message, tone, and content to fellow Republicans, Conway said in an interview on MSNBC's Morning Joe. Protecting President-elect Donald Trump and his family is costing New York City more than $1 million a day, according to three city officials. These costs won't necessarily drop significantly once he moves to the White House. And that's because Melania Trump and their 10-year-old son, Barron, expect to stay at their home at Trump Tower in Midtown Manhattan, at least until the end of the school year. And Donald Trump has indicated he plans to return home regularly, even while they're still there. Adding to the expense of the cost of police assigned to Trump's adult children and his grandchildren, who are also receiving Secret Service protection, John Miller, NYPD's Deputy Commissioner of Intelligence and Counterterrorism, told WCBS Monday. All of them live in the city and all of them are entitled to receive Secret Service protection. And finally... Yes? In our Thanksgiving news... And drone news combined, of course. <laughs> a Washington state drone manufacturer showed off its flagship drone by putting it to an unusual task, making Thanksgiving dinner. Autel Robots posted a video to YouTube showing how a chef used the company's X-Star premium drone to prepare a traditional Thanksgiving feast. The cook donned a medieval armor-like glove to prevent injury when using the drone's propellers propellers to peel potatoes and slice veggies. The video also shows the drone's hook attachment being used to drop some turkey into a deep fryer outside before its propellers are replaced with egg beaters for mixing. The resulting dinner is a bit messy, with a text on the screen admitting the device is, quote, not that great for cooking. (laughs) Yeah, so why are we doing it? Because it's fun. Just because you have a drone doesn't mean you need to use it. We need to be innovative. No. We've showed how drones can carry us in canoes, can uh, fish for us, and now we need to prove that they can cook Thanksgiving dinner for us because we need to make our lives easier. Didn't a guy get in trouble using a drone with a blowtorch? 
you remember that, Terry? He was, had a flamethrower. Yes. He weaponized the drone. He weaponized a drone. He cooked turkey with it, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah See, that got him in trouble. It's a problem. Now this guy's trying to figure out how to make the dinner. It's just, no. That's why you go to, that's why you go to, you know. Yeah. Check Speaking of Thanksgiving dinner, have you ever heard of the Butterball Fryer? No, but my mom called me that when I was a kid. Oh. It was with love. I can it was tell. Totally of course. with love. Well, there's a Thanksgiving fryer called the Butterball Fryer. Mm. Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely delicious. I was watching an infomercial for it the other day. No shame. Is is it is it's is it a fryer? It's a turkey fryer. Yeah, it's a turkey fryer. It's massive and it comes with all the bells and whistles that you would expect a mm. nice turkey fryer to have. Like a fire alarm? Yeah. A fire suppression unit? Sure. Okay. Those infomercials are so evil. If you can't turn the channel within 10 seconds, yeah. You're it's, it's going to seem like the best idea in the world. Right. Agreed. That's, I mean, they got so big that people thought you could spray paint hair on your head. Do you remember? And then all of a sudden, you know, you got black all over your pillow. Now that same product is being used to seal up uh, rain gutters. That's right. <laughs> Oh wait, that might yeah. be something different. No, I saw I saw a guy spraying it in the back of his truck to line his bed. Yeah, right. Sure, it works. <laughs> I think ah. it's good for colon cleansing too. <gasps> yeah, I hear it's really it just cleans you right out. We've uh, we've got to talk the turkey. So what have you got for us? Okay, how to eat as much as humanly possible on Thanksgiving. This is for equal time. Yeah, yeah. With Ron Hager sitting in the room because Ron's um, going to make us eat healthy. The and- first note on this is prepare. Fasting is typically not a good idea, but stop eating four to six hours before the main event. Okay. Right? Yeah. So you want to go into it with some some hunger, looking forward to it, but don't like just eat right before and then try to... But like, so overeat. have a breakfast? It says have breakfast, then just kind of a normal meal, and then just sort of taper off throughout the day. Okay. And then it says exercising early in the day is also a good idea. Physical exertion can stimulate the appetite. See, that's there what we're go. doing. Right. That's why we do it. Finally, it's easier to eat a lot of food if you're relaxed. So immediately before the meal, take some deep breaths, think calm thoughts, and avoid confronting your Henri uncle. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Then it you says choose it. wisely. Once you've girded your loins for the overeating challenge, there's nothing to do but begin. The choices you make now will determine whether you fill your stomach to maximum capacity or give up long before dessert. Wow. Potato stuffing rolls require minimal effort. You can do maximal damage with those things because they're, they layer nicely if you can pack in more without feeling full. Mm. Goes on. It says, so you start with the carbs and only then load in turkey onto your plate. While you're at it, you should also delay your consumption of fiber-rich foods like veggies and whole grains. They fill you up faster because that fiber soaks up water and takes up more room by expanding. So don't bring the green salad. Yeah, you're white. Don't That's do just it. So then, selfish. Step three, take a break. What, what, in the middle? It says as fast as you put food in, your stomach processes that content and starts moving it into the intestines. So when you feel like you can't eat another bite, press pause. If you've been loading up on simple carbohydrates, you're in luck. The stomach can empty itself of low-fiber carbs in a mere 30 to 90 minutes. Wow. Luckily, you don't have to wait for your stomach to completely empty out before you get back to the buffet. Even a little reduction in food volume can help. Give yourself a uh, half hour to recover, and you might find that you're ready to pack in more chow. You know that... Ron's back here just gasping. (laughs) That's kind of the idea. Um, Recovery. You don't have to start running laps around the living room. They say exercise is 
uh, part of what it would help with is this is part of the digestion of food is movement. If you take yourself from sitting to standing, you're going to move food more quickly and, and, and feel less uncomfortable sooner than if you just sit there. You don't have to start running laps. Even a slow walk can make you feel better. Once your body pushes that food from your stomach to your intestines, the uncomfortable feeling will ease. I like to do a little like belly dance, like to get because I feel like I'm I can pack it in deeper, you know. So Just fill my gut up. More. There's a process. If you take these steps, if you prepare, and and you're you're thorough, like you take a break and come back, and so your meal isn't done when you stand up and leave the table. It's no. just begun. Yeah, I'd, so I like to look at it as not even a meal, but kind of a day. It's a whole day event. Yeah, just take the, you take the necessary steps. You will overeat and enjoy it. Wow, you just ruined Ron's day. He'll fix it all later. He'll come in and, and, and point out where I was wrong. But you did say exercise. Exercise. Go out, take a walk. Just process that food. Get well, or after, just have somebody push you. Like maybe or ro- roll you down yeah, the hill. Whichever. Put you on a dolly and just roll you around the neighborhood. What do you think is the most? Um, we live in the western half of the country. Yeah, yeah. What's the most popular thing to eat in the for west? Thanksgiving. There was some polling that was turkey. Done. No, turkey. no, no. I mean like side dishes. Oh, Everyone oh, eats oh. turkey. It's like eighty-two uh, percent of the, the country. In the west, I'm going to say potatoes. Okay. For sure. For sure. Um, I will go with cranberries, of course. What about, uh, like, uh, sugared yams or sweet potatoes? Yeah. In the southeast, canned cranberry sauce. The southeast. Is big. Yeah. Mid-Atlantic states disproportionately have cauliflower as a side dish. Texas central southern states see cornbread as far more necessary than the rest of the country. The Southeast prefers their carbs in the form of mac and cheese. New England, they like uh, squash. Uh-huh. Whatever reason, there's squash we on the table. We don't eat mac and cheese. That's a good idea. That you need mac and cheese. You know what the cranberry sauce, too? It's not the real cranberry sauce unless you see the imprint of the can on the cranberry exactly. sauce. Exactly. Right. No, I totally agree. <laughs> it's got a jiggle. You can't just have a pile right. of like fresh cranberry. Everything's got a jiggle on Thanksgiving. Every region enjoys pumpkin pie. Uh, let's see. But there are apparently three Americas beyond that. America's uh, The America that disproportionately has apple pie is New England and the mid-Atlantic states. The America that has pecan and sweet potato pie is the south. And the America mm. that consumes cherry pie apparently is in the Midwest and the West. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll try it all. When I The Thanksgivings I attend usually have all three of those. So, See? Life is good. It's a it's a blur of desserts after we've just eaten way too much. So show food. up to the South household on Thanksgiving Day. Or wherever I'm going to be. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's still in flux. Are you apparently. still doing the Brussels, spout, the Brussels sprouts thing? We did that um, Sunday. That was really good. Brussels sprouts, we, we got it from a blog we found. It's Brussels sprouts, and it had cauliflower and bacon and all this stuff in it. Mm. Good stuff. See, everybody, get your get your game on. In just a minute, we will bring in Dr. Health. Our health evangelist will walk us through a healthy approach, not one where you'll probably end up in the emergency room, like Terry just explained. Stick with us. Dr. Ron Hager will be up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, celebrate happily, hopefully, and in a healthy way, the Thanksgiving season. Stick with us.
I'm ready. Dr. Ron Hager is with us. He's Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's also the health evangelist. And we are so ready for you, Dr. H. Help us through this. Uh, Terry, just talk to us about how to destroy your health and how to blow your innards outward. I couldn't help but laugh, I suppose. I, I, I... Maybe we do need a miracle after that. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? We want we, we want to enjoy we want to enjoy some of the fatty foods. You know what's interesting is that's not too far off. You know what what Terry was talking about. I mean that's kind of a an attitude people have. Yeah. When, when you come up to the holiday season, like, I'm going to kill this <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> I, I know it's like going into those. Uh, you know, I read once about a. Uh, like a cafe, uh, a restaurant in Las Vegas called the Heart Attack Grill. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and you can you can eat <laughs> stuff there that will kill you. Yeah. They, and there's the menu items are things like you know the triple bypass burger, <laughs> and everybody makes fun of I it. Know. But the, the the reason I know about this restaurant is because I read a story where they were about a guy who had a heart attack yeah. while he was eating there, and everybody got their cell phones out and they were videoing it. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> is horrible. I mean, the guy survived. But yeah. But I mean, what what have we come to? You know, yeah. where where we even mock our own health? No, it's like, hey, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> yeah. I'm going it's, to try this. Yeah, it's kind of like a Jeff Foxworthy thing, you know. Uh, you know, anytime a redneck says, "Watch this," you know, it's like usually right before they die or something. Right, like, exactly. I, I forget what that joke <laughs> exactly. is, but anyway, I, the, the, I'll tell you what I was thinking when I was listening to Terry was, I came up with three questions. Okay, so 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 here's my three questions. Uh, what's your favorite flower? What's your favorite hymn? And who would you like to sing it at your funeral? <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so, so once you've got those questions answered, your your funeral's ready. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's what I was thinking that's about great. as he was going through yeah, that. Totally so, true. so anyway, I I kind of wanted to start off with this idea of why why things change at the holidays. You know, I mean, a lot of people live their lives according to principles. Yeah, you know, and, and and you can define a principle in a, in a variety of different ways, but usually it's some kind of a moral rule or belief that you have. Oftentimes, you know, you base it on what you perceive as truth. And you know, for example, like uh, stealing. You know, I mean, I know people who would rather die than steal. Right, right. You know, because they they hold so fast to what they think is a principle that that defines their life. And uh, so, so the, I, I did actually want to ask a. Uh, a serious question here. Yeah. Uh, do people have principles for health? They should, right? It, and if they and if they don't, maybe they ought to ask themselves, you know, what are your principles for health and wellness? Um, you know, maybe it's eating a certain way. I mean, there are certain groups of people, religious groups like Seventh-day Adventists, if they're, you know, compliant, uh, you know, very serious about their beliefs, they're they're vegans. Mm. You know, they right. I mean, and that's a right. that's a belief, right? right? That's a principle. And I'm not necessarily saying everybody needs to be like that, but what about eat, eating a certain amount of food? You know, could that be like a gluttony? Like so, you're not a glutton, right? But it seems like if you've been living these principles for years, then you're not probably going to get carried away on one meal on Thanksgiving. And, and if you did, you know, wouldn't wouldn't you want to ask yourself, you know, why, if you've been working with success on these principles? Yeah. That you've decided to follow related to your health and wellness, um, you know, wh- wh- why would you uh, 
violate those. Yeah, why throw that? I mean, if, away if, right if now. it truly is a principle, I mean, people people will go to drastic measures to not violate their principles. Yet, mm-hmm. at a holiday time, you know, it's like there are no principles. Yeah, you know, it's, well, yeah, it's of, like free for health, all of health at least, right? Yeah, so I just wanted to encourage listeners to think about what their principles of health and wellness are and treat those principles as seriously as they treat other principles yeah. in your life because those are kind of your moral guidelines. Well, right? and don't you think – I mean the weird thing about for a holiday for me is you you actually end up eating things you don't ever eat. Like we never have stuffing, Yeah. right? Yeah. You never have – we don't have gravy a lot. Yeah. So it's – it's almost just – it's so unique that you're like, oh, well, I want to try that. I want to try that. But still, if you've been living with moderation is your principle. Yeah. OK. You yeah. can't get – you can't eat a lot with because your body's used to moderation. You'll get sick. So why do you lose your mind yeah. during the holidays? There, mm-hmm. In fact, there's a, there's a book I read recently. Uh, the author's is uh, Brian Wainsick, uh, Ph.D., uh, the book's called Mindless Eating. <laughs> there you okay. go. That's the problem. Yeah. Huh? So, so, so here, here's one of the suggestions he has: never have more than two different items of food on your plate at one time. Oh wow! And he says by doing this, you may be uh, able to better control how much you eat when you have a little, you know, as opposed to when you have a little bit of twenty different things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so at Thanksgiving, you know, if you want some some mashed potatoes. With gravy and some turkey, then those are the only two things Put on your on plate. It. You eat that, and then if you want something else on your plate, then you go back and get it. It Instead does of, slow you down, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's just a thought. I mean, I've got some other ideas I'll yeah. share, you know, when we come back. But, but this idea of a of a principle is, I, I just got thinking about that. You know, there's all kinds of books out there on, uh, you know, how to how to formulate your principles, uh, how to follow your principles. Uh, you know, and it's not it's not there's there's no one size fits all. Matt. Right now. You know, I mean, sure, there are certain principles that you would think in a civilized society everybody would follow. Um, but you, you have to decide kind of what's going to work best for you. But I've always I've always just found it interesting how at a certain time of the year or certain circumstances, birthday parties, other kinds of celebrations, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it is, that uh, things that people work so hard on during the year uh, they just uh, throw out throw the it away. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Do Do you sense that? Um, I mean, I guess too. We we make it we make it okay to do that, right? We we just say we don't. You just framed it as principles. Most of us don't frame that meal as a principle, a moment of principle or no principle, right? Right. right. So it, it might be just important how you're framing these things, right? But like you know, like I said, some people say you know I'm not I'm not a thief. I don't steal. That's a violation of my principles. But at Christmas time, they don't say, you know, finally, it's Christmas time. Yeah. I can start stealing now things I at least for a few stealing. days. <laughs> right? So, right. That's so true. So, so all I'm saying is maybe consider what your health and wellness principles are for you and then stick to them. You know, do your best to stick to them. Um, and like I said, it's you've got to figure that out for yourself. And that's that's kind of a key. You know, this whole concept of self-management is is there is no one size fits all. I can't tell you what to do. You can't tell me what to do. You've right. got to put some time and effort into this. You've got to figure out what's going to work best for you. That's good. And then That's stick to advice. it. Now, now obviously, it, things can get mixed up, right? Because, uh, you know, circumstances, I mean, I can think of maybe some circumstances where maybe I would steal. Oh, yeah. You know, like if maybe, I, I you know, I, 
Well, I don't want to get into that. But anyway. Well, um, yeah. Well, Les Mis. Les Miserables. Yeah. There's yeah. an example. Yeah. So so my point is, uh, you know, you have to be careful, too. You know, you, you don't want to uh, cause undue harm. Right. You know, to yourself or others by being uh, so principled that it that that it, it that it it uh, undermines common sense, but common sense would also tell you that the very things Terry talked about in yeah. order to prepare for your Thanksgiving will meal kill you. will are probably really not common sense. <laughs> well, right, it's like it's common death is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager about uh, health and the holidays. There are just some basic things you can do. We'll go through a big list of ideas, uh, just little tricks to make it through without, uh, you know, maybe all the gluttony, all the excess, and maybe without a trip to the emergency room. Nothing wrong with that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be back. Thanksgiving is all about overeating. Even one of the main dishes is actually called stuffing. Stuffing? What names did they turn down? Cram it in? Eat till you can't breathe? <laughs> Bloated. That is so true. Stuffing. And that's... Is that Jim Gaffigan? You just... You gotta love him. He knows food right yeah. there. Uh, back joining us is Dr. Ron Hager. He is the health evangelist tries to do everything he can to keep us healthier, happier. Today, he's like, he's teaching us principles. What are your principles of health? And if you've been living them for 11 months, you might want to just live them one more day. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, I can remember times, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't been so into health my entire life, uh, but I can remember times. There was the seventies. Even in my early twenties. Yeah. Um, where. I would get so much food in me at Thanksgiving, and I, I remember more than once, you know, having to go outside somewhere and and eliminate it. Get it out. Get it out. And I would feel so much better. Yeah. You know, and that, and, and but every year, you know, I would eat to the point where I was I was almost sick. And that's that's so strange. So it took me a while, you know, to figure out that hmm. You don't have to do this, you know. I don't. I don't live in a in a starvation threatened environment. I mean, right. there are maybe right. places in the world where people do, but, yeah. but I don't. So maybe maybe you could turn the holiday to something other than food. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's what we've been marketed. But yeah. maybe we could turn it into just talking. Uh, other traditions, yeah. You know that that's one of the tips that I have for people is uh, maybe try and create some other traditions. Uh, besides the food, not 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 the food is wrong. No, no. Or or, I mean, food is supposed to be pleasurable. Food is supposed to bring people together. Uh, food is actually supposed to be enjoyable to make and to eat. Mm. There's there's pleasure in all of that. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, that might be actually more interesting. Is have everybody participate in the making of a meal. And enjoy the four hours, five hours of the making of the meal, yeah. not just the 35 minutes of the eating. Maybe so. Yeah. That anyway, could be cool. Yeah. So I, that's another question you can ask yourself. Are there some other traditions that you may be able to come up with that, that actually aren't about consumption? Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe just about uh, time with family or, or, or whatever it might be. 
uh, th- there's some other ideas too. You know, uh, one of the things people do when the holidays come around is they find themselves running short on time. You know, because their their time is being taken by other things like shopping and mm-hmm. preparing food and uh, you know getting a Christmas tree or whatever it is. And so it cuts into maybe something they've been very good at all year long, and that's setting aside time to be physically active or exercising. You know, and and I know people. Uh, you know, for example, uh, prayer. You know, some people will not miss a day of saying their prayers, or maybe writing in their journals. Right. It, it's like come hell or high water, they're doing that. It. Will be done. Yeah. Right. And and it's because it's a principle. Right. Uh, so why can't a person say, well? You know, physical activity is so important to me, not because I'm being selfish, but because it's a principle. I will not miss it. And maybe you have to be clever. Maybe you have to be creative, figure out ways to integrate it. Uh, One idea that I read online was to always be ready to go, right? So, Mm. uh, you know, I know it's a time of year, too, especially when family's over and things are a little more formal. You know, you dress up a little nicer and stuff. But, you know, uh, wear your walking or running shoes, Um, as much as you can so that you're ready to go. And you could even, you know, be working on a meal. And, of course, a lot of things are timed, right? right. So, well this, right. Is gonna, well, this is going to be the, in the oven for 20 minutes. We'll go for a walk and come back at the end of that time mm. and take whatever out of the oven you need That's to. That's great. And maybe yeah. even take a few people with you, mm-hmm. you know, spend some time together. Um, you know, so that's an idea. Uh, a lot of people head to the malls, yeah. you know, uh, for shopping during this time of year. Uh and, you know, we've even heard stories in the news about, you know, fights breaking out in parking lots over parking spots. Right, right. Well, just, you know, even if you have to park a quarter mile away, you know, usually there's parking available a quarter or half a mile away mm-hmm. from the mall. Park there and walk. Yeah. Or or maybe make a rule for yourself that if you're going to go to the mall to shop, you're going to walk, you know, because maybe in some places where you live, the weather's bad or, you know, you don't really want to be outside. Make yourself do two laps around the inside of the mall before you even consider mm. shopping for any specific item. You know, just make yourself do these things, just like you would for other principles. Right. Uh, I mean, you could still work out. I mean, this isn't – you still have – you could do the same regimen. You yeah. could still yeah. – nothing's changing yeah, here except yeah, exactly. the date. You could also take the stairs whenever possible. You yeah. know, you're going to have lots of opportunities depending on where you're at and what you're doing, but right. especially in malls, escalators and elevators. You know, take the stairs. Uh, whenever possible. I, 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 I love this quote. I heard this once. A person's health can be judged by which they take two at a time, pills or stairs. It's so true, huh? <laughs> okay. It's so okay. true. So put the pills down, start taking the stairs. Uh, you know, a lot of people are really into the technology nowadays with their smartphones. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, apps out there now, uh, many of which are free, most of which are probably free. And and they can, you know, everything from pedometers uh, to how, the quality of your sleep, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe download an app or two. You know, get uh, there, there are some some apps related to your eating to help you become aware, yeah. more, more self aware. Uh, there's all kinds of these sorts of technology uh, options as well. So for people who are into that, uh, maybe consider, you know, if you find yourself spending a lot of time on your smartphone or uh, your smartwatch or whatever people have nowadays, maybe download some apps that might help you. It's a great idea. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's something you can do. 
Um, and there's, then there's also some things for eating. Now, I know Terry gave a whole list of things you can do. <laughs> that was more yeah. about getting more in your body. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, and I liked your idea, too, do the belly dance. I, in fact, I'd like to see that. You, well, you, you leave your you. clothes on when you do yeah, that. Yeah, I like okay. my kid. Yeah, we, okay. just because there's, there's students here, I probably won't. Okay. Oh, well, but another time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you a video. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, now, now, this one might sound a little bit extreme, but I have, I have actually talked to people who have done it. Uh, wear, wear tight-fitting clothing. Uh, You know, just so that you can be reminded, you know, maybe to cut back on some opportunities to eat because, you know, tight fitting clothing. It changes you. (laughs) Isn't real comfortable. Now, now it's got to be the kind that doesn't give. It can't just be, you know, tight fitting like spandex because that can. That'll give. That can grow with you. Right. So the kind of tight fitting clothing that doesn't give. Yeah. You know, and how many times have you seen people eat at Thanksgiving and then undo their belt or undo their button or. Or, Take their or pants whatever. off, <laughs> so, so it's Uncle like, Jerry. Yeah, so it's so it's like it's obviously uncomfortable. So maybe maybe that's just kind of a clever <laughs> uh, reminder. Here, and, and here's one that Terry mentioned. Uh, I've actually done this, but you shouldn't do it. You know, skipping a meal in anticipation of being more hungry for the big gathering. Yeah, a lot of people don't eat a, yeah. don't eat breakfast, right? Because boy, I'm going to be ready for this. Just it's just business as usual, right? Stick so stick true. to stick to your health habits. Um, so, uh, and, and here's one too, and I really like this one, you know, and this kind of goes along with maybe creating some new traditions. You know, you're going to be in, in typically in large gatherings with family, with uh, colleagues from work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because, you, you know, you're going to all kinds of parties, all kinds of things going on during the holidays. Um, maybe do some things to where you emphasize some activity at, at these gatherings. For example, dancing. I mean, that's just one thought. Yeah. Uh, I'm not much of a dancer. My wife wishes I was more of a dancer. Um, but dancing can always be fun. I mean, even the kids get involved in it. Totally. And yeah. have fun. Yeah. And just have a blast. That's you know? true. And, and there are other things, you know, like the, the turkey bowl, you know, the flag football yeah. game or whatever uh, with your neighborhood or something like that. I mean, th- those kinds of things can be good. But uh, think about some other things that you can do uh, as well. You've got about 30 seconds. What would you say is the one thing? I guess the principle? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I guess if I want you to think about anything during the holiday season, it would be uh, think about your principles as as they relate to your health and wellness. You know, uh, a poll was done recently in the United States uh, where people were asked about important social values. And 99% of people said that being in good health was very important to them. Of course they said that, yeah. right? Yeah. But if, that, but, but if, if, 90, if 99% say that that's the case, then why are 70% of the population not active enough to get health benefits? Why are 80% of the population not eating a diet that's conducive to their health? You yeah. say one thing, you do another. Look, it's time to step up. You know, if it's important to you, then do something about it. Love it. And know what your principles are. I mean, yeah. just start thinking. I mean, that could be a great discussion around the table. What sure. are sure. Write them down our even. family principles? Yeah. And, and, and you can focus on health and wellness principles, right? There are yeah. principles that are out there that you can come up with. That's good stuff. All right, Matt. Thanks. Thank you. Dr. Ron Hager's his name. Uh, he's the health evangelist for The Matt Townsend Show. Keeping us healthy and happy. You know what? Happiness could simply be knowing your principles. Powerful discussions for the holiday season. We will take a break, come back, visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, see what they're going to be doing during the holidays. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Turkey for me. Turkey for you. Let's eat the turkey in my big brown shoe. Love to eat the turkey at the table. 
I once saw a movie with Betty Grable. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Adam Sandler for you. And uh, who better to talk to after Adam Sandler than the good buddies at BYU Sports Nation? Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, we are fantastic. What's up? Turkey for me, turkey for you. <laughs> I eat turkey in a big round shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. I love it so much. You are so good at it. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving week to you. Today is my last day uh, before the break. and then. I, but I know you guys get to work every day, don't you? Um, yeah, we even have a Thanksgiving Day special because we care about our BYU Sports Nation fans on the holidays. Really? Yeah. When did that start? <laughs> this is a new development. <laughs> That's cool. Do, do they do they bring in food for you guys? Uh, no. Okay. That's kind of no, rude. They don't. They don't do that. We we'll we'll still do our own uh, Thanksgiving thing. We've we've worked out a few secrets of the trade, Matt, so that mm. we can eat oh. a couple of places at one time. Interesting. We do, we do what's called tape it. Okay. <laughs> You're just gonna tape it. Okay. In fact, we already did. <laughs> you know, have you already taped it? Was it a good show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun. Uh, well, we'll yeah. let the people be the deciders of that. Was it such a good show that people will have to loosen their belt after it? Mm. No. Good. People There's should... always room for dessert, right? Oh, oh, always room for dessert. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, you you guys like this holiday? You, I you, am a fan of this holiday. You, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's always been in the shadow of Christmas mm-hmm. or looming, like, yeah. like Christmas has always been looming large over it. Mm-hmm. But I am coming to appreciate Thanksgiving more and more just because of what the day represents to my life, which is like a needed rest yes. and watching football. Like food, feasting, football, family. Like I love that. I don't – on Christmas, it's too – it's chaotic now. Yeah. No, totally. I don't feel like Thanksgiving is chaotic. No. This is this is where you can just sit back, watch the Kardashians, relax. <laughs> it's a relaxing holiday. Now, if you ask the people that are preparing the meal heavily, then mm-hmm. it's not as no. relaxing. Do, do you help with the dishes? Do you help with yes. the meal at all? What, yes. What's your, what's yes. your part? So my, my primary responsibilities are set up and clean up. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Jerem, are you the one that breaks out the cardboard table, the, uh, the what's it called, the card table, and um, and set up the chairs for the little table? Well, I, I host uh, my family hosts my in laws every oh. year, so we have like fifteen ish people at my house. So that's, that's great. Fun. Yeah. So you've got to make sure everything looks good. Yeah, all, Ta- all of it. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Part of the meal. What's your favorite Eat, food? Eating it. What's uh, <laughs> what's your, do you have a favorite uh, recipe? A favorite meal that stands out? Uh, no, it's all it's all delicious it's all good. To me, man. It's okay. All good. Uh, uh, you guys, did you need some topics for the table? I've got some t- topics. Oh boy. Um, uh, one that always gets, I think, a lot of attention is when you bring up Trump. <laughs> so maybe just that's, that's always a good one. Bring up Trump. You know, talk about Beyonce. 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 <laughs> Beyonce. <laughs> um, here's some other ideas of what you can talk about that won't create controversy. Adele. Okay. Ooh. You Adele. know, Adele's not going to make anyone mad. Yeah. No, I'm up in arms over a Adele. <laughs> Adele. You heard that latest album, 25? Ridiculous. <laughs> How about Tom Hanks? 
Just talk about Tom Hanks, the actor. He's America's dad, for heaven's sakes. Should yeah, he Tom, run? Tom Hanks is uh, he's he's an American icon. You, he they're saying he he could run for president. Oh, he would win. He'd totally win. He would be Ronald Reagan. I heard he was dating Oprah. Oh, stop it. I don't know. Seems he like would the, be Ronald this, Reagan. This like if been... Tom Hanks ran for president of the United States, like oh. he would win in a landslide. He would totally. No, totally. You could also talk about um, the Kardashians. You know, everybody either loves them or hates them. Now, see, there's, there's some controversy there. Why? Compelling and rich. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ron Burgundy. Is that Ron Burgundy? Yeah, that it is. Um, you could talk about the Olympics, but they say, but I don't remember anything about the Olympics anymore. Who gave you this list of topics? It's just a, it was on it was on the interweb. Oh, okay. Really good. Yeah, there's some really good stuff on the interwebs, huh? <laughs> totally. Hey, um, you guys are doing your show today, though, right? So what's on what's on your agenda? Okay, so have you heard of the show Stranger Things, Matt? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a Netflix uh, sensation. It? Yeah, my kids, I've I've watched it. Yeah. Okay, what'd you think? I think it's great. I, are... I'm totally afraid of. Don't spoil, don't spoil anything. Okay, I'm just afraid of stuff now. <laughs> yeah, there are stranger things happening on the basketball floor for BYU. <gasps> yes, really. Yes. What? Last night, case in point, in the game against St. Louis, mm-hmm. we're going to get into the stranger good things. That okay, are good. Happening for BYU hoops, but, but things aren't coming through the wall, right? Well, I mean, when you shoot three for 13 from the three-point line and still win by 30 points. Yeah, that was crazy. But that's not – kind of strange. It's becoming the norm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So just what a difference a year makes for BYU basketball. We're going to discuss the stranger good things for BYU hoops. Headlines from uh, BYU Sports Nation on Twitter and – in terms of how they would have summed up the game last night. And we've got Blaine Fowler on the show. Football has kind of been pushed to the wayside right now because BYU basketball is doing well mm-hmm. and they're new and it's weird. Yeah, yeah. In a great way. Like yeah. the, Positive the football, stranger rivalry things. football game is kind of an afterthought right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, kind of weird. That's kind of cool. It's kind of strange, you'd say. It's, right? It's kind of a good stranger thing. It's a thing. You guys have to talk about that. Stranger Singer. Yeah, we're we're going to do that. <laughs> Anything we will else? We'll do that. Any are you guys talking about Kanye? Mm, He's in the hospital. Maybe maybe we should discuss that early on. What's going on with Kanye? He's in the hospital. Uh oh. He's had to cancel his his uh his tour. Oh, I did hear about that. He also kind of went all pro Trump, you know. So he what? He, he, wants a he talked about how he would have he if he had voted, he would have voted for Trump. <laughs> He had voted. But he didn't vote. <laughs> Can you the, the, the hindsight comments always yeah, great. Oh, great I would have done this. I would I, I would have done it. Judgment Day. Well, I would have done that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's you guys, I can already tell your show is going to be out of this park. And we're going to go to our department of the secretary rapper, uh Kanye mm. West. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kanye sound off. Kanye, oh, Kanye, what do you have to say? Well, if I had voted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't saying she a gold digger. <laughs> oh. You guys are... <laughs> she, uh... Is that is that that sounds like Beavis and Butthead? No, it doesn't. Okay. <clears throat> well, I love uh, who's the guy on Saturday Night Live that can that can do um, Kanye and Jay Z perfectly. I'm trying to think of his name. I don't it's know. Jay something. Yes, Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow. They yes, canned him though. They fired <laughs> him. Shit. <laughs> See how that is. <laughs> 
<laughs> you guys are so good. <laughs> he is so good. You're so talented. Yeah, uh, I know, that's what I said, yeah, Jay Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish you nothing but the best. Happy holidays. And sorry, you have to kind of pretend to work no, on the holiday. No, it's okay. We listen. Sports Are you gone tomorrow? I'm gone. I'm You're gone until Monday. Until Monday. Mm-hmm. And even that's you know debatable. Well, well it looks here's like what we have to look forward to. Okay? Fifteen more minutes. Yes. Wednesday and Friday. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Remember what happened on Thanksgiving four years ago? The no. butt fumble by Mark Sanchez. Yes. I remember that. Thanksgiving football produced a that piece of Americana. Glorious, glorious. We must highlight. watch that again. <laughs> but a lot of times it creates nothing. Let's just be real. Yeah. Just remember. anyway. Okay, guys, have a great show. All righty. Thanks, Wax sir. on, wax off. Happy Thanksgiving. Peace out, you too. Yeah. They're, I mean, they got to work. These guys, they work them like crazy here. You know, that's what you get when you're in demand. Hey, uh, here's, a, here's a fun little story for you if you're looking for something to do over the holidays. Former British police officer Ben Hooper hopes to make history by swimming every mile of the Atlantic Ocean from Africa to South America. You, you heard it. From Senegal to Brazil. After more than three years of preparation, he set off on Sunday. The 38-year-old walked down to the beach in Dakar and uh, into the Atlantic Ocean. Launching a swim for 1,635 nautical miles, nearly 2,000 land miles. This is for my daughter, he said, who filled a water bottle with sand to keep for the 8-year-old. And uh, she's the one that inspired him to swim. It's been a long time coming. Flanked by two boats and a crew of less than a dozen, uh, Hooper aims to be the first person to swim every mile of the Atlantic Ocean from continent to continent, stepping on land again in March. He will be swimming till March. That is crazy. Uh, he says he's trained three years, and he's also uh, figured out how to uh, not be killed by sharks or, you know, hurt by jellyfish, which is really, honestly, half the battle. So good luck to him. If you are interested, you could swim this weekend as well. Hey, uh, our last story, of course, is the hero story. And if you want to have a great Thanksgiving, find a grandma. Any grandma will do, apparently. Mashable reports that 17-year-old Phoenix resident Jamal Hinton got a text from an unknown number inviting him to Thanksgiving dinner. Jamal's friend Ronald shared the ensuing conversation on Twitter. The texter identified herself as your grandma, but Jamal wanted a photo to make sure. They exchanged selfies, which cleared things up pretty quickly. But Jamal wondered, can I still get a plate, though? The grandma, who BuzzFeed identifies as Wanda from Mesa, Arizona, replied, of course you can. That's what grandmas do, feed everyone. The Internet went wild for this example of grandmotherly kindness. One Twitter user called it low-key, adorable. Another tweeted, Nancy, she looks like Nancy, I'm so, so I'm assuming is the MVP of grandmas. And while Wanda had to change her phone number after all the texts went viral, Jamal tells Mashable people were blowing up her phone with inappropriate things. She hasn't rescinded his invite. Jamal is in talks with Wanda's actual grandson to make an appearance for the holiday. How cool is that? You mistweet once, and the next thing you know, you got a brand new friend. Wouldn't that be cool if he showed up? Come on, Jamal, get there, my friend. You're now adopted into their family. That's how it works, folks. We just need to accept one another. Have a little more fun with each other, not at each other's expense. Make it a great holiday, folks. The the people around you, of course, you didn't always pick them. Sometimes they're hard to deal with, but they are your family. And when times get tough, you're going to need them. 
So let's make it a great one. Let's serve those that are in need. Let's look out for those that uh, don't have anyone there for them. And until Monday, serve, 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 and show gratitude. It is Thanksgiving, so let's be grateful. We'll be back Monday. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk Monday.